Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the Know Your Gear podcast episode 320. I hope you guys had a fantastic two weeks. That's right. It's the first time, I think it's the first time in three years, and it could be ever, but the first time in three years I missed a show. Usually if I can't make a show, we move it to a different day, but last week I actually missed a show. And uh, I'll tell you guys why. It's a weird story. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not a good story. <laughs> It's just gonna be weird, um, but for those of you that might be um, might be interested, uh, I'll start with that. I'll just get into it, right? Let's get into that. So uh, you guys saw two weeks ago, I posted a live show from Sweetwater. I was at Gearfest. So what you guys might not know is that I went to Gearfest for three days, which was in Fort Wayne, Indiana, for Sweetwater. They invited me out. Um, and believe it or not, I was on the fence. I was like, I don't know if I want to go. And my wife's like, No, I, I think you should go. And she says, I'll go with you. So she went with me. She wanted to see how the event works. She wanted to help me with uh, making content. She's just notices that I come back from these events kind of exhausted for a couple of days. And I, you know, she's like, maybe I can uh, help. But we also had other things to do, uh, some work stuff and some fun stuff. So we went to, <laughs> we went to Ohio and Pennsylvania and, uh, and uh, West Virginia and Maryland and D.C., and uh, Delaware, but only for a second, and and, uh, and uh, New Jersey and New York. So we went to a lot of places. So what happened? <clears throat> well, the the first thing I'm going to tell you, just so you know, it's uh, it's, and I'm probably only going to tell you just one because I might not make fun of myself, but also maybe to remind people that there's sometimes you should be taking care of yourself better. So if you saw the show a couple weeks ago, I was like, oh, I had really bad sinuses. I did. So you know, I was having really bad sinuses uh, because there's this stuff in Indiana that I've never seen before. It's green and it's like called leaves or something. Uh, remember, I live in the desert. It's literally like, you know, it's the desert. I live in Phoenix. There's some vegetation, of course, but it's very dry climate. Anyways, so I was uh, having some allergies. That was definitely a thing. But what I didn't realize after I did that show on Friday, thank you guys for hanging out for that, by the way. Um, that was the last day of the event. What happened next was I basically I went to bed uh, it was the next day, Saturday, I went to bed and, uh, I slept 12 hours, which is not like me. I don't usually sleep that long. And then I woke up after 12 hours of sleeping and took a shower to go have breakfast, uh, with my wife. And instead I <laughs> went right back to bed and slept another 14 hours. Um, so, and, uh, they tried to get me up a couple times like, I guess midday, they were like, hey, they, you know, try to feed me a sandwich or something like that. They were obviously very, my, especially my wife was very concerned about me, you know, uh, and uh, uh, basically I was exhausted. I had uh, not been paying attention and sure the event is a lot of work, of course, but that wasn't what did it. Uh, to be fair, it had been at least 49 days that I've been working back to back without taking a day off up into the event. And of course, I was working until the last minute to even before we got on the flight, I had to finish up some stuff. And um, I haven't been sleeping a lot at all. <laughs> say a lot at all. I haven't been sleeping at all. So uh, so I had some um, <laughs> had some allergies, which is fine. And then uh, I was just zonked. Now, the good news. Here's the good news. Once I slept essentially 24 hours <laughs> or more, uh, I woke up the next day and I was like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> so we... Um, my wife and I went to D.C. and we went to some, uh, the museums. We saw the all the beautiful Smithsonian museums. 
So that leads me to the second thing. Well, why did I miss the show uh, last Friday? Well, I lost my voice and I'm going to pre-apologize for what I'm about to tell you because it's going to be pretty bad, okay? Um, I lost my voice because I got the worst food poisoning I've ever had in my life. Unfortunately, my wife got it too. Um, and uh, we're pretty sure what it was because one thing that's interesting is my wife and I do not have the same diet. So she eats specifically something, you know, we, we don't eat the same things. We go to restaurants, we're, not, we're never like eating anything close to the same kind of foods. Um, so we didn't really eat anything together the same except for two items in, in, within the 24 hours of us getting sick. Um, anyways... Uh, this is the gross part. Uh, so I got food, I got food poisoning so bad that I, um, I vomited so much that I lost my voice. Apparently that's a thing. So, you know, um, you can gargle salt water for days and rest your voice, but I literally, it was gone. I had no way to, uh, do anything. Now on a positive note, there's always a positive. Let's talk about the positive. First, the rest of the, uh, time was great. We did, unfortunately, we were going to go to D'Angelico in, in uh, New York and go to the showroom. Uh, but obviously we lost a day from being <laughs> from food poisoning and I lost a day from sleeping. Uh, so I put us two days behind on, on the, the itinerary. Um, but, uh, you know, so many great things, had so many good times, got so much and got some work done, but also had a great time. And, um, <laughs> somebody says New York city dog water, you know, I'll tell, I'm going to tell you, so I won't leave me in suspense. What did we think it was? Um, so we only had two things. And uh, I, I don't know, okay, which one it is, but I'm gonna tell you which one I think it is, okay? We only had two things within 24 hours that were the same, okay? And I mean, literally, we, not even like the same bottles of water brands or anything. Um, the one thing that seems like it should be the obvious thing, we don't think of what it was, which is my wife got an order of Oysters Rockefeller and um, at the oldest bar in Washington, D.C., which is a very nice, beautiful uh, bar. Um, and we ate there twice while we were there, it was great. And we just happened to got those. I had one. She had three because you got four. Um, and of course, you're thinking, oh, food poisoning oysters. That's probably going to be it. But I mean, it just seems really strange that it would be at an actual oyster bar and, you know, one of the most, you know, oldest, nicest ones in, I don't know if I said uh, New York. I meant D.C., by the way, Washington, D.C. But um, here's what here's what happened. I made a mistake. Uh, that same earlier that day, I think it was earlier that day. I can't remember. Um, it, this is probably what it was. It was very hot in, in Washington, D.C. Okay, when I say very hot, I mean, it was probably 90. And uh, we were walking from museum to museum to museum. We were walking all day. So it got a little warm, especially for us. We're not used to humidity. And um, there was all these food trucks. And uh, they, they line like the whole streets, you know, around the, all the, the uh, museums in D.C. And there was one food truck that was selling smoothies. And I thought, oh, okay, that's one thing my wife, you know, will have, you know, she'll have fruit smoothies. So I go, oh, she'll have a fruit smoothie. So I go, let's go get a fruit fruit smoothie. My wife specifically asked the truck, she's like, what do you put in them? And they're like, oh, just fruit and ice. And she's like, okay. And so she got one, I got one. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, here's what I think it was. I think it was, um, we didn't think about, I didn't think about the fact that where did they get the water for those smoothies? <laughs> Like they were probably, it could have been like contaminated water could have been, well, and we didn't see the fruit. So I, I assume maybe if they didn't use fruit, fruit, they were using a puree, 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 puree. I don't know what the hell you're saying. So I'm just saying those are the two things, but I really think it was probably the smoothies, but who the hell knows? Who knows? Right. Um, but man, it was, it was pretty horrible. And, um, like I said, and then losing my voice, if you guys saw, I have a ton of videos to release, the problem is there's certain pieces that need to be finished with overdub 
I really worked as hard as I can to get out the uh, PRS video one. But it, I mean, as somebody even mentioned that the volumes drop in some time in the video and the video, that's not volume drop. That's just at max power on the mic, my voice. That's as much as I could get out to do that. So I've been taking a, a little break from, from talking. Um, by the way, that's one thing I should point out. My wife absolutely enjoyed the trip immensely with the fact that I couldn't talk. Now, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, just I was a lot calmer demeanor. So especially for going to uh, museums <laughs> and parks and stuff, she um, she had a great time because, you know, I wasn't my normal chatty self. <laughs> uh, so. So uh, so anyways, it could like I said, that's uh, that's what happened. That's how I lost my voice. That's why there was no show. Uh, so the good news is I'm rested up and the voice is slowly coming back. Um, okay, so there, we probably should talk about guitar stuff. Um, we do have a ton of questions. Let's just get into some early questions, if you guys don't mind, with the guitar stuff. And, uh, and uh, the, what do we have? Oh, on a funny note, uh, Maz, I don't know, Mazit8667 says, Hey, Phil, had last day with a pair of socks this week, immediately thought of you and burst out laughing. Thanks for being entertaining. Uh, that's awesome. I, yeah, I'm glad you thought of that. Me. Um, uh, if you guys don't know, I call last day what I call when you have, uh, when you find a sock that has a hole in it, I wear that sock one last day, uh, before discarding it. Um, and, uh, and, uh, uh, cause you know, and, and it drives my wife crazy. Cause she's like, you have a hole in your sock. And I'm like, I know, but it's like, you know, you gotta get one last day with it. We're going to have that moment together. Me and the sock. We like, we're going to have a great day. And <laughs> at the end we'll say goodbye. <laughs> All right. Anyways. Um, okay. The uh, guitars, uh, whoops, guitar talk, I should say. Um, Robert Purdy said, hey, he got his lefty Bandlance uh, guitar and it finally arrived today and it's glorious. I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, with, so far, uh, I, they've all been shipped as far as I understand. In fact, I'm pretty sure I know they all been shipped. I saw all the tracking. Uh, I saw the email with all the tracking information. Um, and so that's really good. I don't know if everybody's got one delivered by now, but I mean, it, if anyone doesn't have one delivered by now, it's got to be by Monday or Tuesday at the absolute latest. So very cool on that. I'm glad. You like the lefty, especially Robert. Thanks for making the comment one because it's cool. But two, um, especially because you're a lefty, you know, the lefty thing was one of the things that I was really excited about. That was one of the things I was like, we got to do it. We got to make lefties and they can't be any more expensive, you know, and they got to be made in the same, you know, they got to get out at the same time. It can't be like, you know, everybody gets their guitars and then the lefties are last. It's like, I just, I just didn't want to have that vibe. Um, I kind of find like that. I feel like I just don't, I've never understood and I'll never understand and this is coming from a person or a point of, uh, I guess, a perspective of I've been in the factories and I've had it explained to me in the factories over and over and over again. And there's just no real reason I can understand why lefties are such a problem for everybody. I get it. There's not as many. I get it. Maybe there's a less profit, but you can you can raise the price a little bit if you have to. I've just never I've heard all the excuses why lefties don't exist. And I really always I'm just going to say it because we did it. I'm just going to say it this way. It's because they don't want to. That's what it is. They don't want to, right? Um, they don't care. That's what it is, lefties. I'm sorry. You know, what's the saying? Uh, people show you what they think of you. 
Yeah, if they don't want to make a lefty, they showed you what they think of you. You just don't matter. So, um, so there you go. Hope that helps. Uh, Relaxes Lab says he's getting his like on Monday, and he's number fifty. So very cool. I'm excited about that. Like, um, Susan says, "Hey Phil, do I see a new blue seven string over my right shoulder?" Uh, this one. So this is a, uh, seven string majesty. This is not new, uh, per se. I've had it now. I can't remember. I want to say may, but it had to be before may I've had it for a few months. So yeah, it's newish. I mean, I got it this year. Yeah. Um, it's a, uh, it's blue. It's the, it's like a flip, oh. like a flip flop kind of color. Look at that. We see it turns like a bluish purple to purple seven string. Trushy guitar. Um, I didn't have any intention of doing a deep dive review of it, but um, this guitar actually has a really cool story. So maybe that's you know one of those one of those <clears throat> one of those things I could do. I do a video of it, and then I would be able to get to tell the story of it because it's a really strange and crazy story of how I ended up with one. <laughs> so, um, but. Um, it all it it is it all started from the interview I did with John Petrucci, and if you guys know, I got another seven string that's purple. So so you understand. I'll just tell you uh, the one that I bought, and I did a video of that. I traded that for this with a friend. So um, and that's see, this seems like that's the story. No, I'm just kidding. There's a lot more to the story and why that all happened, but more importantly, the behind the scenes of it. And um, so yeah, I'll uh, I'll see if I can do that. Um, I feel like once my voice is 100%, I feel like uh, I'm going to be knocking out a ton of videos anyways, just because I've been a little antsy to make more content, which is usually I've been a little tired to make content. <laughs> so now I'm the other side, which is good. Uh, uh, let's see. Mark wants to know if I've tried the uh, ODD pedal from Warm Audio. I did a video on that. It's a really good pedal. I really like it. Um, I didn't say it in the video, so I did that in their phaser really really enjoyed them both uh both the phaser to me kind of stole the show you know like it's just really cool and it's over the top and it's just a really amazing pedal and it looks cool but to me personally of the two i really 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 like that odd pedal and sometimes when you make a video um you know something gets edited out and that's just you know because you're just trying to make content entertaining and you're like okay this is not gonna you know be effective um but in that video i didn't edit out anything that i regret because uh, sometimes you regret going, I should have left that in later. Um, but I didn't say something in that video, which is I liked it more than the original um, OCD pedal. So although I thought it sounded pretty much like the OCD pedal, I actually liked it more because it's it sounded exactly to me like an OCD pedal, except for there was a couple of things that it did that I liked better in the tone. Um, so so that's why I said they 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 cloned it. But it, but we don't, you know, they, they apparently cloned it off, I guess, off the first OCD pedal because there's different versions of the OCD. And I've never played the first version OCD pedal. So that's what I was wondering. So when I say that, I'm, keep in mind, I mean, it could have been, it just sounds like the first one. And I really like the first one. But the OCDs that I've had, which were the later versions, this one I thought sounded a little better. Okay. Um. Oh, sorry. I'm gonna <clears throat> I'm gonna use a lozenge. I hope no one minds. I just it's just to keep my voice going. Okay, guys. All right. Um. 
Uh, Alan wants to know if I've ever used, wait, have you ever used the Yamaha THR with the Line 6 wireless G10 relay? Had mine for a few years now. And apart from loving the amp, find the wireless so convenient. I do have that. I have the 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 uh, Yamaha THR30 V2 uh, that Yamaha sent to me, which was really cool. I've put it in some videos, but never used the wireless in the videos. But I do have the wireless sent that to me. I famously said uh, many times that I don't use wirelesses and I don't care for them. Uh, it's not a tone thing. It's not anything. It's just I just I have no problem with a cable. Even on stage, I rather just have a cable for the most part. Um, but but uh, I really do enjoy that G10 relay thing. Uh, the it's really convenient, and I've traveled with that amp with that uh, wireless unit, and um, really cool. Uh, Ellen says, how do you like doing your reviews at Sweetwater? You know, I found it to be impossible. Um, I really, really am happy. Uh, I feel, you know, privileged, I guess is a word to say that I was invited to Sweetwater. Um, basically how that works, if you guys are curious, Sweetwater, you know, obviously whatever channels they deem that they want there or for whatever reasons, they don't give you any reasoning or criteria why who's invited there. It's definitely not a... Um, uh, if you saw the Sweetwater event uh, and you're paying attention, if that's something that you know, so interests you, um, it isn't a who's who of the best YouTubers, like the channel sizes. You know, it's not like the million dollar or million subscriber club and the hundred thousand subscriber club. It's not like that. There was channels with, you know, um, you know, 10,000 subscribers easy. I don't think they sent, they, they have a lot of channels under 10,000 there. I think it's because, but they, they kind of like, you know, they kind of grab channels for whatever reason. Anyways, um, I was asked to come out, which is funny because I was there last year and, um, and, uh, this is what I learned an observation. I, I was really, they are so kind as a company and the employees, right? They really care about what YouTubers do and they want to be involved in that. And a lot of people will probably try to turn that into something like, you know, some kind of corporate shill kind of thing. But you got to understand like big companies really just, they either exploit the YouTube channels or they have no interest in the YouTube channels. It's very rare that the companies really grab, especially the bigger the company, okay? There are very few large companies. And I don't know, when I say large, let's just talk about the billion dollar companies, okay? There is almost no, the, the biggest companies don't care about what I do because I don't affect their numbers in a thing that they can notice, right? Like if you have a company and you're, and you're selling a million dollars worth of gear a year, a channel like mine could literally move your needle. Okay. I do a video, bam. I mean, I can move the needle for at least a month, maybe two months, right? You guys, like I told you that you guys are very enthusiastic <laughs> about buying gear like I am. And so obviously, you know, uh, introducing your products to the, to a community like this or other channels is very effective. And they, they know that the bigger companies really don't see a, a channel like my size as much as some of you guys go, oh, it's a big channel. They don't see it as really interesting or anything that, that matters. And this type of content I do isn't fanboy enough for them, I'm sure, right? Who the hell would want? I have a saying and it's, here's the here's the saying I say, and I've never said it to you guys, but maybe because I'm all, and my voice is shot, I'm just gonna be, uh, tell you guys some more behind the scenes stuff. Um, I have a saying, which is nobody would wanna show their boss my video. In other words, if you got me to do a deep dive video of that guitar, um, you probably wouldn't want to show your boss the video after it's done. They're like, oh, here's a guy who said it's okay. 
here's a guy who says it's great, but he also picked out seven de defects in it, right? Like, I mean, just think about that for a second. You know, if you if you were a marketing person and you were tasked with getting 10 YouTube channels to do videos of the product, it, no matter how many views my channel got of it, would I be the video you'd want to show or the video who's like, I can't believe this. And they unbox and they're like, it's amazing. You should buy one too, right? That would definitely be a more appealing video that the company would be interested in. So the reason I tell you that is it's always odd to me and it's been odd to me that Sweetwater interacts with me. Um, it just shows that they, their logic is if you guys buy stuff from them, they just want to be in front of you. So that's it's as simple as that. So the reason I tell you that is one, I just want to be very uh, polite Somebody said polite earlier. I saw the word polite. That's a perfect example. I want to be polite. I was invited out with Sweetwater. They paid for my flight and they paid for my hotel. Now, my other expenses I eat, but that's okay, right? I mean, they're, they're covering the biggies, okay? Um, and they let me run and play and do whatever I want in their facility. As you guys know, I just go out there after night, at nighttime, and take guitars apart. However, here's what I learned for me why I'll probably never go to an event again. Um, and that's why my wife being there was huge for me because one of the things she was there to do was help me to try to pick up the pace because here's a problem I have. I want to use the new Miles Kennedy guitar as a perfect example for why my content does not work at events. A new guitar was presented to two dozen channels. All those channels were able to grab the guitar and go, this is amazing or whatever, right? Maybe they hated it. I don't know. Um, but either way, they just sit with it. They talk about it. They share their feelings with it. They give you a first impression. They talk about what they like, what they don't like, and they do it. My content, that video, it was four hours of filming and eight hours of editing. <laughs> it, it just, I can't get it out as fast as those guys. The deep dives just take too long. The process, uh, you know, I, I want to, I have to memorize all the facts and information about the guitars. And if I get that wrong, because sometimes I do, especially on that video, what happened was uh, if you see the overdubs, which you can tell in that video, because my voice drops, because I, I lost it. Um, the overdubs are because I was wrong on some information I was giving you and I had overdubbed the right information because I was given just like, here's the guitar, know everything about it and figure it out and take it apart. And that's a tough thing to do because a deep dive is not like an unboxing video. It's not a, hey, this is the first time I've seen this guitar. Let's see what I think about it. It's, hey, this is what's inside this guitar. This is how many pieces of wood it is. This is the information, especially when a guitar is just dropped uh, really new. As you guys know, I did the Kaizen last year uh, with Music Man and that actually happened to be Tosin's prototype and the music man told me later like yeah that guitar is not actually the production guitar and I'm like oh <laughs> in all fairness I told this story before so you know I told him I said well can you send me either footage of the right stuff and I'll edit that in and, and I'll you know talk about that or send me one to 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 film and I'll film that one instead and they didn't respond to my email so I put out the video the way it was um, I had done the work they you know obviously it's my work no one's paying me for that so I did it so um to, so to answer your question, that's uh, how is the experience? Uh, Sweetwater is amazing. The companies that were there are amazing, but my content does not seem to line up with that format. And um, this was kind of an, an attempt this time to bring somebody with me to see if we could speed up the process. And all it did is speed it up. It did speed it up. It just, it wasn't able. Obviously my content came out a week later than everybody else's because of that. So that's just, you know, how it works. I'd rather just have the product here and go through it. And as you guys know, if they don't want to send one out, I'll just buy one. We'll put it on the channel if that's what you're interested in. On a side note, the good news is I don't think you guys were so interested in that guitar. That video had really low engagement and the comments are mostly about basically your 
the one no the let me actually let's let's go to a question i got a question about that it's a little tie-in to we'll kind of lead right into it um <coughs> apologize me apology for my cough uh it says um the viewer sent me an email that says did prs miss with the new teletype guitar and um what was interesting about that question was that was really focused on my video like i watched your video in detail of this guitar and did PRS, did they miss with this guitar? In other words, did it not hit like the Silver Sky? And I don't know, you know, like anything, they could be sold out right now and they sold a billion and they're 10 years backlogged and it was a huge success. Um, if you can't tell from my video, I like Miles Kennedy. I love Miles Kennedy, actually. So, you know, Alter Bridge is in my top five bands of all time. That's just my personal thing. I love uh, Miles with Slash. So I'm a huge Miles fan. Uh, so that's easy. So when you hear Miles' guitar, I'm a fan. I'm already interested PRS guitars. I like PRS guitars. I'm interested. I love tellies. And when I was a kid, there was a commercial for the first time when the Reese's Pieces, uh, peanut butter cups came out. Reese's peanut butter cups is like, do you like chocolate? Do you like peanut butter? And it's like together. And you're like, it's better. This was one of those things where I thought, yeah, telly miles Kennedy. I don't know why that connects, but just, I like miles Kennedy. I like tellies. I like PRS and then Reese's pieces cup. And instead it was a miss for me. Um, I was, I was shocked by the price and I think everybody was. And in a, in a world where PRS is expensive and look, you can justify that price. If you want to go, sir makes a telly that's 35. I mean, co companies make expensive guitars. That's for sure. Uh, Fender custom shop tellies are going to cost you three grand. So I, I get that. However, in the PRS pricing structure, it doesn't make sense. That's where I think PRS missed it. It's not what it is compared to somebody else's product. It's what it is compared to Paul Reed Smith's product. I cannot understand why that guitar is more than the Silver Sky, other than they're just going to raise the Silver Sky next week to $2,800. I mean, it's at $25 right now, right? So if it's if the Silver Sky jacks up to three grand, then I guess it still doesn't make any sense because to me, it's not as it's not a difficult guitar to build like the Silver Sky. What I mean by that is the Silver Sky has a different neck, right? At least they flip the headstock. It's a different CNC pattern. This neck on this on the uh, Miles Kennedy, it's essentially like what they did in the past. I'm not saying that's an expense. I'm just saying there's not a lot of changes. The the bridge is off the Vela, which I obviously love the Vela. I love that bridge. Um, so you guys know, I, my understanding is that that bridge is licensed. In other words, somebody somebody who designed that didn't design that at PRS, and PRS likes that bridge so much they license that bridge from that person. That's my understanding. The pickups are are cool. Like I said, they sound good. The guitar sounds good. It plays good. It's it's a Paul Reed Smith. No one's picking up a Paul Reed Smith and going, oh, this is crap. This is a, a good guitar. Whether you bond with it or not, that's another thing. But just on as a technician like me, when I take guitars apart and I, I measure the quality of a guitar, there was nothing in the quality of the guitar that 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 hit me as like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. What were they thinking? But Based on the color choices, which is again, not very exciting, very cool colors, but you know, nothing expensive, like, you know, hollow. If you do flake finishes, believe it or not, flake finishes are very expensive. There's expensive types of paint you can use. I mean, uh, obviously opaque paints are not the hardest thing to spray. Um, and I'm okay with the gig bag. I don't care about that. But again, you know, when you compare the, when you compare the, the new uh, NF53 and the Miles Kennedy to the S2 line, the S, uh, the S, um, not the SE, the, um, CE line, right? I mean, it was more, it, that guitar costs more than my, than this. Look, 
I bought this last year. This is my hard-earned money I spent this money on this. Uh, this is a CE24 semi-hollow with an absolute, look at that top. It's absolutely gorgeous, right? Um, it's a gorgeous guitar. It plays great, looks great. The, I, I can't imagine, I think I paid, I think I paid 26 for that guitar um, from Wildwood. That sounds right. Maybe it was, so to me, I was like $200 more, $300 more to get, I, I don't know what I was, I don't understand it. So I think that's where the miss is. I think a lot of people think it's cool. I think the guitar is cool. There's no question about liking the guitar. I like it. Would I buy it? No, I wouldn't buy it. That's why, right? Um, the um, I have the NF53 video, which is my part two. I've released that to the members and the patrons. There's some stuff missing in the final video because again, I, I didn't have the voice to finish the vid video for my final thoughts, but I'll, I'll do that and put that video out. And, and then that I think I'll be a little, help you a little bit more with the understanding of it. If you like that guitar, by the way, if you like the NF53 of the Miles Kennedy, if you like it a lot and you wanna pay three grand for it, I mean, please do, you know, it helps the economy. <laughs> right it's a good guitar enjoy yourself but me i just can't pull the trigger three grand for that there's just so many things ah i mean i bought this semi hollow or sorry this this is a full-on hollow body two prs 10 top this is a 10 top <laughs> with binding beautiful guitar right i mean just look at that beautiful full hollow i bought it used but in mint condition Again, within the last 12 months, $3,500. I just can't fathom. I know that's used and this is new, but you understand I can't fathom a $500 difference that takes me from something as amazing as that down to a, basically a tele platform. Um, so that was, I think that's where a lot of people ask, you know, um, and a lot of people are gonna tell you, like see a lot of people are saying 50 times the price. I don't know what the right price is. Like I said, they probably sold out. They probably know, they know their prior price just better than anyone else. But I just kind of felt like I, I was, I said in the video, I was a little taken back by the price. I was a little shocked. I was predicting the guitar to be $300 below the Silver Sky. I figured 22, right? I wish it was 19, but that doesn't, you know, that's not really practical for them, you know, as a, as a price point structure. I was really shocked to see it be $3,000. It was really shocking for me. So that's, that's it. But here's the good part of what I do in those videos, or at least what I try to do. If you have $3,000, okay, and you wanna buy that guitar and your concern is what are you getting for $300? That's why I like doing deep dives. It's so that you can look at the video, look at what was inside the guitar, look at you know the value proposition and then go, okay, yeah, let's give it a shot. Let's do it. So again, I'm not trying to sell you the guitar. I don't get anything if you buy those guitars. All those videos, I don't get nothing. I get nothing if you buy any guitar that I do a video on. Uh, if you sell, if you, I mean, if you hit affiliate link, but again, that's that's in you know i can put an affiliate link in any video you know it doesn't matter um but also i don't lose anything if you don't buy it so so again i'm not trying to sell you the product i'm trying to uh give you as much information about a product as possible because like you i'm sitting on the other line of a uh, side of a screen a lot looking at a guitar that i'm interested in and going okay before i throw down that kind of money what do i need to know so i hope that hope that helps uh, <laughs> Dirt Razor X says, Tonewood ain't cheap. Yeah. I mean, I like that they did Ash, and I, I have no problem uh, with the, some people were complaining about the three pieces. I really don't care about that. I mean, aesthetically, it seemed weird to have, you know, I would think the painted guitars would be three piece, and then the, 
the, the translucent guitars where you see the finish is a two-piece. I think it'll look better. A lot of people are hung up on the multi-piece body thing. It, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, like I said, I'm really focused on how heavy a guitar is. So sometimes whatever achieves that, it, you know, if you can get three-piece bodies and they're just on average a little lighter than go that way. Um, and when I say they're a little, <laughs> on average, they're a little lighter, it means they're less expensive to manufacture. So you can make more of them and then pick the lighter ones and make guitars. That's one of the advantages of doing that. Um, so, so, uh, Jesse's saying the silver sky is now 27, 49. Wow. And they're almost the same price. Look at that. So think of this. The silver sky was 25. Just, I bought my silver sky in 2021 and I paid 22 for it new. So, wow. God, they got just so much. So crazy. Um, so anyways, there you go. Hope. Um, but I have a lot of content coming from that event. And like I said, Sweetwater was able to, uh, I have another video that's going to be cool that I did at the event and we're gonna be doing a giveaway with that guitar. It's not a PRS of course. Um, but and something fun with that. So like I said, the PRS, uh, the uh, Sweetwater guys were just super cool. Like I said, it was really great. I just, it's, I just don't know how I can make my type of content there. Um, and, and be competitive in the market to get it to, you know, you're trying to get your video to the time to the, to, you know, out to the, by the time I got my video out, everybody had seen the other 10 videos and they were kind of burnt out. <laughs> like, and then I felt bad for putting out the video going, ah, you know, yeah. And I'm just bombarding you guys with another video. So, but all right. Um, Let's, uh, let's go to the next question. Next question, uh, is, <clears throat> um, uh, Matt says, Hey, Phil, I've been, I've been thinking back to when I discovered KYG, uh, with 30,000 subscribers. So 30,000 subscribers would have been 2015. So, you know. That's pretty much when I started putting out the first content. I hit 30,000 the first, uh, I was at 30,000 the first year for sure. Um, and I had 100,000 by the second year-ish. Two and a half year mark, something like that. Because um, I got lucky and got a couple of viral videos. It kind of helps. Um, that's where you get subs from. You get them all from these viral videos. That if you can knock, a, if you can get a viral video, you can get those million view videos out there, you'll get a lot of subs. And then and then it dies all off and it stays until you get the next one. Uh, he says, I've been thinking of OGs of YouTube, several of, uh, of you still around, uh, but where is Gearman Dude? You know, it's Gearman Dude. Think about this. Gearman Dude, I like to call like first gen, second gen, third gen. And now I think we're actually getting to fourth gen YouTube gear channels. So to me, first gen was like Rob Chapman, the Tone King, um, Gearman Dude, uh, Paul from, uh, 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 I'm trying to think because it changed right now he's with reverb um obviously scott grove all this stuff right that's like first gen so you have you know that's like uh you know fluff those guys i was watching all that stuff so that's how i why i say that it's first gen to me because those are all the channels Gearman dude all those channels i just mentioned were the channels i was watching and before i even made videos i was just watching them make videos second gen i think is that where i fall into is like all of a sudden you have another layer of people and that's i think that's reflective of um now i'm making content based on i saw other people how to do it and you're like oh what do you do you're like oh you put guitars behind you or gear behind you on your wall and you talk <laughs> right that's like the format you kind of copy 
Um, and then third gen, same thing. Uh, so to, to your question, uh, Gearman dude hasn't been around, hasn't made a video in a year. Look, you gotta understand there's not a lot of money in the YouTube game. And then there's a lot of money in the YouTube game, right? Um, there's not going to be a whole lot of, uh, in my experience doing this, uh, and I would say semi successfully, um, and, uh, and I could even dare say successfully, but I don't know which great that is. Like I would call myself semi-successful because I can make a living doing YouTube. Successful would mean being getting rich off YouTube, right? I would say that the difference. Um, but as someone who can make a living off of YouTube, who's someone who's, who generates income, uh, a desirable amount of income from YouTube, here's what I can tell you. Um, it takes an insane amount of work to get to making a living. Think about that. And then the appeal to most people to do this is, oh, wow, I can quit my cubicle job and make content. What a great, like, what a great thing, right? I can, right? It would be no different than if you're just a, a touring guitar player, right? You're like, oh, I can tour and play guitar and make the same living I was doing this office job, maybe a, a mechanical job like me re working, repairing guitars, right? Um, you know, some other type of job. Uh, so that's usually the logic. So keep that in mind. The uh, Gearman dude, uh, he works for a music store. Super amazing guy. Super, super nice. One of the nicest people I've met on YouTube. I put him in my top five nicest people I've ever met on YouTube. And um, uh, if he's not making content, it's just because, again, you got to understand, there's, there, you see somebody getting 10,000 views, they're making like $10, right? So, I mean, there's, you know, what do you do with that? You know, and so the way that they were all making money was uh, like, like your man, dude, is they were getting pedals sent to them and they were selling the pedals like constantly. Right. So if you can do 300 videos a year of pedals, then you can sell 300 pedals. And if you're doing the math, if you're getting $200 per pedal, there you go. Um, there's there's huh, I don't even know what that is. Let's look. And those numbers are far fetched because I don't think you get 300. Let's say you could do. Definitely one a week, so 52. Let's double that up for a channel. Let's say it's 104. So 104 times $200 selling the pedals. Uh, there's $20,800. That sounds about right. And then if you're making that kind of content, you can be pulling, you could be pulling another $20,000 in YouTube revenue, merch, and other things. Uh, so obviously that's easy math right there. That's $40,000 a year. $40,000 a year and you make a living. The problem is one screw up and you're screwed one bad month, one bad, I didn't get any views, one bad, no one's sending me pedals right now kind of thing, man. That drops real fast. You see the numbers, you can just drop and you're making 25,000, 30,000. And a lot of guys, these supplementing their income by working somewhere else. So, so anyways, the issue becomes, uh, you had to, uh, be, you know, you have to figure out a way what I did and what I recommend to anyone to do uh, I did what you're supposed to do. You know, it's the army, right? If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Look, I, the first thing I did on YouTube, the first thing I did in 2017, I, I made a video. It's not up anymore because it doesn't pertain to anything. And it said, why I closed my store to YouTube. And it was basically like, I'm not going to my store anymore. I'm not working on, well, I was working on guitars outside the store, but I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to make YouTube content as a primary thing. In other words, I still had other jobs and other things, but this is going to be more of a primary thing instead of the other thing being primary. And this is my secondary. And my point then, uh, is my point now. Um, what I did, 
how I was able to do that was I found a mentor. I found somebody already doing this successfully. And I just went up to him and said, how do I do it? How do I do this? And, and believe it or not, their answer was horrible. Uh, when I mean horrible, meaning, um, I can't do it the way they do it. Okay. So that's the problem for me. That's why I don't do 300 pedal videos a year. I can't do that. Okay. I can't, I, I'm just not wired that way. I'm not wired to make 300 videos a year. I'm not wired to, to talk about 300 products a year. I can't stay interested that long in that many products is too many things. And also part of the driving factor is that you have to become more of a demo channel, less of a review channel. Again, companies pay more for you to show product than to review product, right? Because like I've told you guys in the past, opinions will kill your channel faster than anything because the companies really aren't interested in opinions. They're interested in the demonstration because that's what sells the product the most. Again, that's not a, that's, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But there's a reason why a lot of channels that you, we love the demo product don't really give you an opinion at the end. So that all being said, I was like, okay, that's not going to work. What do I do next? So again, I was able to find uh, mentors who had done this successfully and basically uh, find a way. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Um, 90, I say 95, that's the number I'm going to stick with. Um, on the worst case scenario is 90. Okay. And it could be as high as 98, but I want to say 95, 95% of my income that I make every month, every year does not come from companies. I'm very appreciative of the five, 10% I can make from companies because, um, the, I can't make content without making a company money. So you can see why I want to, I'm interested in like, yeah, why aren't they helping me with this? I mean, you guys are going to buy 50 of their guitars. They're going to make money. They're going to make way more than I make. And it's, so it's not that I think they should have to pay me. It's just like, really, can you help me make content? <laughs> right. I mean, you guys are literally benefiting from it. So that's why I like to do as much interaction as I can. Cause again, I can get that revenue stream coming in that way too. But like I said, 95% of what I make, uh, 95 cents on every dollar minimum or max, whatever that's average, um, is generated by me and needs no other outside sponsorship. Now, just so I don't get, uh, caught and somebody says, oh yes, but I'm not talking about patrons, even though they are sponsors, I'm not including them in that scenario. Patrons are definitely a huge part. They're 50% patrons and members are 50% of my income for the year. And that's how I beat it. That's how I beat the system, by the way. I was able to get you guys to fund this podcast and other things I do. And so when a company gives me an offer, sometimes, man, it's so nice to be able to go, yeah, that's cool. I don't want to do it, but yeah, I'm going to skip it. <laughs> right. So, so there you go. I don't know how we got on this subject. Let's go to the next subject. Um, Michael. Michael says, Hey, what is the best way to get rid of fizz in a high gain amps in their settings? I don't, you didn't say what kind of amp. So let me give you two techniques that are very important when dialing in high gain that I use that I like. Okay. The first one is the free one. So let's start with a free one. The free one is to back the gain off and then use some kind of boost or something in front of the amp. And the reason is, is because that's what happens to a lot of amps. They essentially hit the, the saturation point of gain. Okay. A lot of amps are, a lot of amps are like this. They hit some really uh, high point of saturation and then it's just going to get fizzier after that. And sometimes it, when they hit that, that sweet spot before the fizz, you're like, that's just not enough gain. I got to keep going. And now you have this fizz that you don't like this fizzy top end. So um, essentially what you can do is get to that spot right before the fizz and then throw a boost in front of it. The other thing to keep in mind is since we're, I don't know specifically what amp you're talking about, some amps, all the EQ 
the three band EQ is adding gain. So keep that in mind too, right? So if you turn up your treble a lot, if you turn up the bass a lot, it's, you know, whatever you're turning up, as you turn up, they're adding more gain to that too. So again, you may want to back the gain control off and use those EQs a little bit more or back the EQ off and use the gain a little bit more. Just kind of mess with it. This is the whole new, know your gear philosophy, right? Which is just use your ears and just turn things and figure it out, right? Because it's there. There's a sweet spot in every amp that you'll find. And if you're, if you get like 90, 90% there and you're like, I'm almost happy, maybe use a boost or something. That's the free thing. Cause that's just your ear and some time with the knobs. The expense thing, the spend money speakers. Absolutely. You can fix so many amps. So many amps have I, I've hated so many amps because I ran them through the wrong cabinet, wrong speaker. So, you know, some speakers add more gain and more fizz to the sound. Um, they break up the way they sound literally finding a different speaker that can tame that fizz is really important. Um, and so that, of course, you're going to have to experiment to see what that is. I don't have a one trick like, oh, this speaker does it all. I can tell you what speakers I lean towards to reduce fizz in amps. I like the Creambacks from Celestion and I like EV speakers and I like eminence, eminence speakers that are high wattage rated. Okay. Um, particularly the ones that are not voiced or sounded like, because, you know, uh, essentially eminence has like their Celestian type voice, British style pickups. And then they have like the Patriot style ones, which are like the American style voice. I find I get more luck with the, uh, eminence, uh, American voiced, uh, speakers, but you can read in their rhetoric, right? You just go on, uh, go on their marketing copy on all the, co on the companies like eminence or Celestian and, and read and, and you'll see exactly what I'm saying. Those can solve the problem a lot. Um, but again, there's an expense to that you got to try different speakers. So, and I, again, I don't know what amp you're talking about. If you're talking about a, you know, an expensive amp. Maybe that's a way to go. If you're talking about a black star amp, which is fine, you know, buying a $250 speaker for an amp that costs you $300, maybe is not the smartest decision with your money, or maybe it is. I don't know. Like I said, at least that gives, gets you down a road, a road. You can start there. So the other thing you can kind of do too, is bigger cabinets with more speakers. Not the physical size of the cabinet, just bigger, you know, because it's bigger because it has more speakers. So if you're running a 112, maybe you go to 212, 212, maybe you go to 412. That sometimes can chill it out too. Um, and that usually would follow, the rule would follow that as long as you don't go to 10-inch speakers. So like to me, 410 speakers are going to sound a little fizzier, not negative in a way, but, you know, just more fizzy than let's say a 112 or 212. So, okay. Um... And there was a couple, there was another great question that I loved. Oh, this is great. From Brent, who says, hey, Phil, how often do you condition your fretboard and polish your frets? Uh, is it after every string change? Can you uh, harm the guitar by conditioning and polishing too much? Okay, so two things to consider. One, your climate, where you live. Remember, I live in a dry climate, so I'm going to talk always like a dry climate. I'd love to tell you guys stuff. I'm not versed in where it's humid. I'm versed in where it's very dry. Um, so obviously I can be in my environment in Arizona where, you know, it's 112 today <laughs> and very dry. Um, oh, and by the way, for fun, I just got, um, I'll, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> oh God. Uh, I'll just tell you the pain. So when we came back from our, our trip, I'm just sorry, just cause I'm talking the weather. Um, the AC went out in the house, uh, and, uh, they're, have to be replaced and it's like so you know i'm never going to complain about <laughs> never going to complain about guitar prices again i guess even though i just kind of did earlier <laughs> 
Man, I don't even want to tell you. It's crazy. You could buy a nice car for what AC units cost now. It's crazy. Um, okay, so let me get past that. I've been, uh, so, you know, emotionally dealing with that for the last two days of the, what, I mean, it's a hundred and, so like I said, it's 112 of house. So, you know, when the ACs went out, the house went immediately to 99 degrees and, and it was so hot. It's 100 degrees in your house. It's 112 outside. Thank goodness we have a pool. You can sit in the pool, which is what we did until the AC guy showed up. We just, me and my wife just sitting in the pool waiting for the AC guy um, and uh, and spraying the dogs and wetting them, right? And just kind of keeping it under control. Um, and then they come and they tell you that price. And so, you know, it got bad. It was like $40,000. See, you guys are going to shock, right? That was the high, and then there was different prices, and now I think it's going to be in the $20,000 range is what I think it's going to be. Um, luckily for us, we have a friend who's in the AC business, and he came and saved our ass at 1030 at night, which is a miracle, by the way, to have. I can't say his name publicly because uh, he tells me all the time when he takes care of me, he's like, please don't tell everybody on your show because I don't need more business. If you're an AC guy in Arizona, you're not really trying to solicit a business. <laughs> you're really just working all the time, uh, which is why he showed up at 1030 at night. Okay, I'm sorry I got sidetracked, <laughs> but I'm emotionally still dealing with the, um, the yes, the twenty thousand dollar AC units that I have to replace right now. Um, let's let's go back to let's go back to this question about conditioning your fretboard. So conditioning your fretboard. Um, the 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 thing I like to to tell you is simple. Uh, the the fretboard first of all tells you it's just like a plant, even though it's uh, dead now. <laughs> it's just like a plant, uh, especially if it's rosewood or ebony. Of course, those are the two biggest ones. Um, they get a little chalky looking. So if you're used to your, um, you know, your fretboard being really dark chocolatey and now it's like light chocolate and especially if it has any kind of like, uh, white residue on it, you know, and it just looks really dried out. That's just a clear sign that it's time to hydrate it a little bit. You can put a little a conditioner, a fretboard conditioner on there if you like. Um, I use uh, music nomad for everything. So, you know, that's what I use. Um, and they, I'm not sponsored by them. I'm not paid by them. Um, in fact, I've reached out to try to get them to sponsor <laughs> video content because of the fact that I recommend them so much. So I'm just letting you know, but they're, um, and even though they don't, they're not interested in sponsoring the channel, I still praise them. So just, that's just, I want you to know that, right. That it's a good stuff for that reason. Um, so, uh, hydrating your fretboard, you don't have to do it by time. Like you don't go, oh, it's every month or every restring or every year. You could go years and never have to hydrate a fretboard. Or you can do it every couple months, depending on your situation and how dry it is in your house, whether or not your AC unit went out for a couple of days and your house was 100 degrees and 5% humidity. Maybe that sped up the process. Um, but like I said, it's... Uh, <laughs> somebody says, Jeep says, 20K must live in 100,000 square foot. No, man, welcome to the new world. You're going to have a heart attack when you go look at rare conditioning units. I have a two-story. And so because I have two-story, I have two units. That's why it's so expensive. It's like 25K for two units ish. Like I said, we might get it down to 20K. We're working on it. Um, anyways, back to the guitar. So that's, that's what you would, um, that's when you would do it. Just, do, you know, like I said, use your intuition. Uh, you don't have to be an expert in this uh, when it comes to fretboards. Like if it looks dry, you know, and if you put a little uh, conditioner, fretboard conditioner on a, uh, you know, a, a cotton cloth or a microfiber cloth or a flannel cloth, and you just rub it on the fretboard a little bit, it'll kind of tell you the truth right there too. You just go and if it absorbs it down, it's like, oh, needed it. If it just sits there, didn't need it. That's pretty easy. Um, so use that as, like I said, it's like if I was, I was prescribing it, I'd say use as needed, uh, not as, you know, a standardized format. Polishing your frets are the same exact thing. 
You should only have to polish your frets if they're gritty or crusty. Again, you'll see that in uh, harsh climates where it's a humid climate. The nickel corrodes, it, it looks crusty. It needs some polishing, super easy. Or if you had, you know, recent fret, or fret work, you may need to polish them. Sometimes new guitars need to be polished because um, a lot of times factories are polishing your frets with base, essentially 400 grade, uh, 400 grit sandpaper. That's what they're using on your frets and everything, right? They just kind of go everything with that. There's nothing wrong with that, but you know, you can get it highly polished using some actually polishing materials, a polishing wheel. I mean, there's a ton of, a ton of examples out there. So again, you know, you don't have to worry about doing it. So it's one of the concerns I think you have. A lot of people have when they ask that question is, you know, am I screwing up, not doing it? Don't worry about it. You should, you'll know you don't have, you don't need to be an expert tech, <laughs> right? This is one of those things. Just pay a little attention to it. If it looks like it needs some conditioning on the fretboard, do it. If the frets feel gritty, polish them. I have a video where I compare all like 10 or 12 different uh, polishing techniques and polishes that you can get for frets. I, I watched that video, everything down from $3 to basically, you know, hundreds of dollars to polish, uh, you know, you can use anything in between. So, huh. Hawkhead says AC in Florida is $6,000 installed. Yeah, look, it's a different market when it's 112. <laughs> you know, what's funny is let me, let me, for those of you who don't live in Arizona, let me explain it to you. Cause I know everybody goes, it's a dry heat. That's, that's not the thing you have to pay attention to in Arizona, right? How hot it gets in Arizona is not the important thing. It's not the important question you have to ask yourself is how cold does it get on those hot days? So let me give you an example of today because, because maybe this should also guitars and weather. That's our new channel. But I know because a lot of people don't live in the desert, it's maybe it's interesting to you guys. Um, let's, I want to look at today for a perfect example. So currently right now filming this show, it's three, three 54 PM. So four o'clock in the afternoon is 110 outside, right? now outside what is important is is the coldest it will be is at 5 a.m this morning tomorrow morning it'll be 79 degrees for literally one hour and then it's already ramping back up to 85 89 93 tonight at 11 p.m tonight <laughs> it's going to be 91 uh, and so an 8 PM tonight will be 101. So what's important is, uh, and then we have 116 this Sunday with a low 84. <laughs> so you gotta understand, like, it's not that it's 110. It's that when it's late at night, it's still a hundred. It's like a hundred at like nine o'clock at night. So it's the, the AC units just are cranking, man. They gotta go. They don't ever have a time to turn off. There's, you know, even, I mean, think of this, we're talking about at five in the morning, it gets to basically 80 for an hour and then it ramps right back up again. So it's the heat, it's the continual heat. So, um, they have a market. This is the market to be in, man. <laughs> you want to sell AC units. I'm sure this is how people feel when they live where places where it's like negative 17 and your heating guy throws a price out and you're like, well, it's that or die. That's how you kind of feel here. It's this or die, pay what they ask or, or die. Like I said, I'll be taking care of, I have a good friend in the industry, but even him hooking us up, it's still, it's still expensive, man. It's crazy money if you, you know, it's nuts. It's nuts. Okay. I'm done talking about that. Cause like I said, it's going to bum me out. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, 
laugh it off or cry it off. It's either way. Okay. Uh, thank you, Lit Bay, for doing the super chat today, man. Scent of a wheelchair pillow uh, with the craziest name. Uh, says, what do you do during periods when you lack desire to play or practice? Any go-to remedies? Buying gear sometimes piques interest, but I am going broke. I very rarely to almost never have used buying gear as the thing to motivate me. I don't find that is what does it for me. Um, buying gear is mostly just like a compulsory thing to like, I have money and I want something. And I just, it's retail therapy. It's that as simple. It's right. Like, what am I going to buy? I'm not, I don't buy anything else. I'm not into, you know, golf or any other, other things. So I'm like, Oh, maybe another guitar, a pedal, something interesting like that. Um, but when it comes to motivation to play, it's not so much the thing that motivates me. What I will tell you is that what's worked for me is two things. And this is what I always go to on my, when I'm not motivated. And that has been a bigger problem for me in the recent years doing YouTube content because doing YouTube content, I'm working all the time with music, which is great, but I'm also, when I'm not doing YouTube, I love music. So I'm around music and guitars and gear. And it does have an, a point of like, ah, oh, just like, I hate this, right? <laughs> just done. I'm burnt out. So what I do is one of two things every time and it works either do something else. I, I take on a new hobby for a little while. Maybe I go bicycling or I go hiking, um, or, um, you know, whatever your other, I don't, you know, whatever thing you're doing, do something else, right? Maybe go off-roading with your friends. You got to do something else. You have to find something else. Get the hell away from your guitar. Um, if you're not feeling motivated to play music, get away from music, right? Uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder is the term. And it literally is effective. It's the same advice I give you like, Hey man, I'm really getting sick of my husband or my wife and eh, maybe take a vacation from them, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, just get away from the thing. And that literally will, you know, you'll, you'll hit a point where you're like, okay, I miss it. Okay. So that's what I highly recommend. The other thing I absolutely do is I go find people to inspire me. So I might go and find live music and I live music always works for me. A new concert, a new, a new album, you know, you know, you don't have to always spend money like at a concert. You can just go on Spotify or, or you know, iTunes or whatever, and just look for new music. That is usually the way that you're going to get and you know, that, that excitement back is get somebody who gets you excited again, or like I said, get away from it. And sometimes some, sometimes both, maybe take a break from your guitar playing and stuff. There's nothing wrong with it, right? There is a fear that everyone has that's totally rational, which is like, if I stop playing my guitar, I'm kind of burnt out. I'm burnt out on music. If I take a break, I won't come back. This is true, right? This is true. It, it could happen. In my, in my, my life has never happened to me. I take a break and at some point I just can't wait to get back to it. So, um, I recently had that, believe it or not, at the uh, Sweetwater event. Um, I play guitar at the event, but then for like two, three days, I didn't play guitar. And so when I got access to a guitar after three days, I was just super, super stoked. And I played guitars like way too long. I was just playing guitar for hours for no reason. Um, just because I was missing it so much. So that's what I would recommend. SS7050F says, tell us about Furch guitars. I have a video of a Furch guitar coming really soon. Um, it's a really cool guitar. The The title I think is, um, what's the title? Something about like, I don't even know what we decided, but here's the deal with the Furch guitar. I really like Taylor guitars and I like Martin guitars. Some people hate Taylors, love Martins. Some people love Martins, hate Taylors. Right. There's like me, 
I love them both. To me, like Taylor is a Strat and Martin is a Telly. No, wait, what did I just say? I meant that not what I just said. Taylor is a Strat and Martin is a Les Paul. That's why I think when I think of Martins, I think of full body, full tone. And same with Gibson acoustics too, just full body, full tone, uh, fullness in the sound, I should say. Warm, beautiful. I just love this guitar. Taylor is brighter, right? It's articulate, but it doesn't have the warmth. It's not an old sounding guitar. It's a more new sounding guitar. And I like things about both. And every price point of both those guitars, there's just something about them. Just like I like a Strat and a Les Paul. I like, I, you know, sometimes I'm just in the mood for one or the other. The Birch to me is kind of more like a Taylor and less like the Martin, but it's somewhere in between those two guitars. And it's really, really cool. And um, they're made in the Czech Republic and they're expensive, but not as expensive as what they're hitting against. And they were kind enough to send one out for, for a deep dive. And so we have the deep dive uh, coming up. It should be July. It should be this month. That's when we release it. So you'll know more soon what, what I think, but I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm a believer. I, I love them. Absolutely. Um, can says, Hey, Phil, we are cool. <laughs> we are cool. <laughs> okay. Are, Oh, are we cool? Hey, Phil, are we cool? Um, according to my daughter, no, <laughs> I did the video lies guitar players tell themselves and others video, which is, has a bunch of YouTube channels in it. And I played it for my daughter and my daughter's like the, her first response, she laughed, she liked the video, but her first response after the video over was, that's an interesting looking group of people in that video. And I go, what does that mean? She goes, it's not like the cool group. <laughs> and then I laughed because I told her, I go, some of the people in that video think they're cool. She goes, I don't think they are. I go, I know. I think they, I don't think they are either. I think they're all, we're all the same nerds. <laughs> okay. So are we cool? Uh, my daughter said no, but do you think rack units has, uh, still has a value today? Um, I need something quick and I found a rack unit, very clean around hundred dollars. Um, rack units, I think are cool. However, a lot of them are technology based and therefore the technology is outdated. That's the part of the problem, right? So like, if you're asking me like some of the preamp rack mount stuff and some of the EQ rack mount gear, is that still cool? Absolutely. still cool. Um, some of the tech side stuff, sure. Like the 88s collectible and stuff like that. But a lot of like stuff like the Digitech stuff, you're, I don't have a single friend that hasn't basically, I do, but I mean, you know what I mean? I, I don't have very many friends that haven't bought the, the, um, any of the Digitech rack back stuff again to relive their, you know, 20 years ago moment and go, Oh, it's not what I remember. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's good. It's just not good. You're right. Um, so, you know, but, uh, for, for old school rack mount stuff that you can get on, on the cheap, it's, most of it's pretty cool, but some of it's not going to be, you know, as good as you remember it. Um, somebody says the fractal stuff. Sure. Like fractal. Um, I mean, that stuff's very expensive though, right? Rack stuff, I don't know if it's going to come back or when it's going to come back. I mean, obviously the Kemper comes in a rack unit. I chose the standalone unit. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's tough. It's a tough thing. I got the Tonex thing. I bought the Tonex pedal at Sweetwater. Sweetwater, Sweetwater did a cool thing this year. And um, I was really, really um, impressed by it. Last year, they um, they gave us passes to eat in the cafeteria every day. So we ate in the cafeteria and we didn't have to pay, which was really cool. Uh, it was very kind of them. 
Um, but they have a coffee shop and I must have spent, and I'm not joking, like a hundred dollars in that week in at coffee. Right. Um, and, um, no big deal, <laughs> but this year Sweetwater goes, Hey, um, we know last year the coffee shop wasn't included. So we're giving you, they gave everybody who was at the event, a gift card to get, uh, food and coffee. Right. So they gave my wife one, they gave me one and they're like, Hey, whatever you need, you just, it's like a little credit card, a little gift card. And so we could go and get, like, if I wanted a coffee, which I did like every three hours <laughs> to keep going, I could get an iced coffee and keep going. And then at the end of the week, they go, Hey, by the way, these, these expire tomorrow, but they're still good anywhere in the, in the com in the company, including the music store. So a bunch of the channels like me went into the music store and spent them. And I bought the Tonex pedal and I bought a Peterson strobe tuner. And, um, the kid at the store, oh, I should really share the story. I'm sorry. I, I really want to share it. Uh, I know, I know 3.9% of the viewership is female and maybe they'll find this interesting. My wife who gave me a lot of feedback and I would, I would love to kind of compile what she gave me as feedback at the event into something for you guys. Cause it was really interesting. But one of the things my wife told me, which was shocking. Okay. I mean, and 90, 96.8 of you aren't going to get what I'm about to say. My wife was in the Sweetwater Music Store and she did not have on her special, you know, because she has a little lanyard like I do um, that says, you know, she's a, a guest. She did not have that on. She was walking the store and a employee at the music store walked up and asked her if she needed anything and she needed any help getting any guitars down or any cables out or anything he could help her why I'm sharing that with you is my wife who knows as much about guitars probably as me and has worked in this industry for almost two decades has never ever had anyone at any music store ever come up to her and ask her if she needed help and much less assume she was a guitar player and then ask her if she wanted a guitar to get down. Um, so kudos to you guys for that. Uh, like I said, um, the female audience right now is going to react because they're all know, know exactly what I'm saying. That's you know, they do not, uh, get helped in music stores. Right. I mean, in fact, there's a statistic out there that says 90% of female guitar players have never even been to a music store. Maybe it's 80%, whatever the number. Um, but anyways, long story short, uh, great experience. Uh, and then another employee at that store was really cool. And when I bought the two pedals, they saw we had the gift card and they said, Hey, let's see if we can make it work. So, I didn't have to pay outside of the gift cards. That was really cool of them. They did that too. Um, so, so I got the Tonex pedal because um, they sent it to like every, it's just like my, um, my uh, ox pedal. When they send a pedal, you know, a thing like the Tonex was sent to every YouTube channel, which is fine. Right. But they were all like, this is amazing. I'm like super curious. I'm like, Oh, I want to know too. So far. I love it. I've heard mixed reactions. I think Robert, uh, one of my patrons was saying he didn't like it. Um, I can tell you this, I have the same reaction to it that I did the Kemper and the Axe effects, which is, you know, if you're trying to, if you're, if you're going to turn this thing on and think it's going to impress you, it's not going to impress you. It's just not, it's not, it's not the type of gear modeling technology gear to me is not about impressing you. It's not like a great amp where you plug into it and go, whoa, you, this you plug into and then try to find usable stuff. And if you can use it, then it's doing its job to me, the tones that I was getting and that I recorded with it already for a pedal that's 400 bucks, I have to tell you, I can see why they're uh, impressed with it. I also want to tell you, so you know, I was scared to death to buy it 
because I had talked to three different YouTube channels at the event who told me they were sent one and did a video and that they haven't used it since and they could care less for it. And I was like, oh, really? And they go, yeah, it's all right. And I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah, I already got rid of it. And I'm like, oh. And I'm like, oh. So I was a little nervous. So then I bought it. And so far, I'm liking it. I, I don't know if I should do a video because there's like 800 videos of it. But so far, I like it. Maybe I'll just share it with you guys on something, some forum, some media forum. Um, Get Offset says you won't get that at Guitar Center. Damn right you won't. The, the, uh, how's it going, Get Offset? She, um, she's in that video too, uh, Lies Guitar Players Tell. She's in, uh, she's in the middle. I think, uh, I think Get Offset, I think you have one of the highest comp compliment comments in that. So, so, but yeah, I, I, like I said, my wife come and told me that I was like, I was in shock because I wasn't in, I wasn't in the store with her when it happened. So like I said, you know, usually I get accredited to like, well, they probably knew my YouTube channel or just be nice to you or something, but no, it's really cool. Um, let's see. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just reading some comments. Oh, Dirt Racer X says, okay, so we're back on the Tonex thing. Dirt Racer X says their software is the weak point that is awful. I have not used it. I was, I have not edited with it. Like I said, to me, it was just, can I get some usable sounds on this? To me, it's just like my Kemper. Can I get three? I just need a higher gain, a, a low gain and a clean. And if I could get three usable tones and record with them, that's really cool. And to me, the Tonex, like a lot of people are like, and if this is how big it is, um, I really like the HX Stomp. Uh, uh, Ryan from 60 Cycle Hum built this amazing rig that I ripped off and um, it was awesome. And he took a, a HX stomp. I don't know if I should tell it. I don't know if he had an HX stomp. It was genius. And he mounted it to a tripod on a camera uh, with a camera tripod. And then he ran it into a Zoom uh, recorder. And obviously, because it has IRs and everything. And then that way he could record a demo like of a pedal of anything. And he could run a guitar, anything into this and record with it. And I go, oh, that's ingenious. I didn't mount it on a tripod because that's not the way I needed it. But to me, it was always nice. Like I did the, um, I did a, oh, I rented a cabin. And I did a couple of reviews there and those videos did really, really well, really well. One of them is the Abbasi guitar and that's where I was getting the sounds. And the, and I, you know, I state that it's HX Stomp. A lot of comments saying how great that sounds because HX Stomp. To me, the HX Stomp though is like a $600, $700 pedal. So to me, if I could get the Tonex to sound as good, if not a little better for less money, it's a lot easier to, to have for me because to me, that product is about portability. I just want portable. I need to be able to get sound and just go portable with it. So, um, because like the HX stomp, uh, again, it took that from Ryan, <laughs> he was running it off a battery and that's, what's great about that. Right. When you're mobile, um, you know, right. Running everything off a of battery is like, it's just like, you know, everything. Cause you know, trying to find an outlet is like just the worst idea ever half the time. So, so yeah, so so far, like I said, Tonex, I think it's cool. I like it as much as the HX Stomp, if not better. I haven't compared them, I haven't A-B'd them, but you know, generally when I plug into something, I just either like it or not, I liked it. Uh, let's see. Oh, Get Off says it now, uh, 60 Cycle Hum has an even smaller mobile rig. It's amazing. I stole it. You know what? I would have stole it too if I saw it. I wasn't paying attention to what he had this year. <laughs> um, I have for my mobile rig, I had it. Somebody, I got so many questions on that video about uh, my having the nylon socks on my hands and the chopstick. And they're like, do you have that? As we are. Yeah, I have a mobile 
little kit. I have a tool kit. It actually, it's small, but it's heavy because it's all the tools I have for the for the video. So I have a kit. So that's where I like I have to spend a lot of my effort bringing that stuff around. You gotta have you gotta have screwdrivers and all that stuff to take guitars apart. I didn't want to get there and find out Sweetwater didn't have access to that stuff. Okay. Uh, Songbike says update on Fender Custom Shop Telly that I took twenty that took twenty months but arrived with incorrect specs. Asked the dealer and Fender about adjusting the price. Complete silence. I canceled the order and I got a deposit back. So that's the smart thing to do, you know, right? They, I told you, you know, like I said, everybody shows you how they feel about you. I don't need to tell you, they show you. Um, obviously, if you build a custom shop guitar and it's wrong, it's a weird thing to me. And I, you know, I think if you buy an inexpensive guitar and you have some issues, I think it's accepted practice that you're going to just have to deal with a few things. And if the, if the dealer or and or the manufacturer can help you with that, that's really good. But yeah, when you spend these crazy dollars on these guitars, because they're crazy, look, three, four, five, six, ten thousand dollars for guitars. Those are all guitars are luxury items. Okay. So I never get into the whole like, you know, no, it, no one in the luxury world owes you anything. Okay. So let's just start there. Like there's no obligation to make luxury items affordable. I mean, making them affordable makes means they'll sell a lot of them, but it's like to me, it's like I just please keep the water electricity, the gas, whatever, keep that reasonable luxury items. I understand they can get out of control. And if you have the money, you know, like the old saying, if you have to ask the price, you can't afford it. If you have the money, enjoy it. But to me, when you spend those kind of high dollar prices on guitars, the experience should be very pleasant more so than normal, right? Like if I spend $500 on a guitar and then I spend $5,000 on a guitar, I want to think that the $5,000 experience is going to be a little bit more white glove and great service, right? Kind of like first class on the plane versus coach. I've never been on first class on a plane, but <laughs> but I walk by it a lot. <laughs> and you know, and and when they get the hot towel and all that stuff, you're like, okay, that makes sense, right? They're paying double, right? I try to, I always tell myself I'm gonna go first class one, and I always look at the price and I go, double to get to the same place. <laughs> so I, I just can't do it. So same thing with guitar. Five thousand dollars and I get treated the same, that doesn't make any sense, right? I I it doesn't make sense. So I think you did the right thing. Uh, to back out on that. And to be honest with you, you have nowhere to go, but better now because nothing is going to be, nothing is going to be as expensive as that purchase you made. Uh, you can find something just as great, if not better for less money. So uh, they, they, at the end of the day, maybe sell you, saved you some money. I have a, a Fender custom shop strat. I like it, but I also like you feel like, man, that was a lot of money for what I got. I don't think I would duplicate that experience again. So, um, Behavioral sync? Sure. <laughs> you may not want to answer. Okay. Based on my anatomy. Oh, no. Best. Odd guitars for small hands. Oh, wow. Whew. That could have gone weird in a real fast way. Uh, <laughs> it's a skinny nut shape. Three-quarter scale drawbacks. Nighthawk. You know what's funny is I, I play a short scale bass. I, like I said, I'm six foot. My hands are pretty pretty large, uh, you know, hands. Um, and... Um, so of course I don't like really tiny necks. That's not really the, the appeal to me, but you have to understand that, uh, like for bass, I play a short scale bass. So it's just about, I found no real connection to, um, guitar players, hands and the necks. Like there's no way if I, like, I'd love to say like fitting somebody's shoes, right? You know how you put your foot in the, 
and that metal contraption and they go, oh, this is the size shoe you wear, obviously, right? Your foot's a 10, you get a 10 size foot, uh, or 10 size shoe. I find that doesn't work with guitar. There's no way to measure, in my mind, there, like there's no way to measure from your the base of your palm to the tip of your finger and then your length of your fingers and then go, and your length of your arms and go, this is the size neck and the size guitar you need. It, it just it doesn't work that way. It's really strange. Um, one thing I can tell you is that um, <laughs> got to meet, I ha I've had, have got, I have got to meet a lot of guitar players, like famous guitar players, uh, sometimes through the YouTube channel, sometimes when I had the store or just in general luck, just being now. And uh, I've shaken, I've, I've shook a lot of hands. I've, I have got shaken. No, I, I shook a lot of hands and um, they're always small. <laughs> Their hands are always small. Eddie Van Halen, I shook his hand. His hand was very, very small. Um, uh, and I, so, I mean, and I only take notice of that because obviously, you, you know, um, if you ever, I've shook, uh, like the biggest hand I've ever ha uh, had, uh, the three biggest hands I've ever, guitar players I've ever shook their hand. I would say number one is Paul Gilbert. I mean, to where you shake his hand and you realize like, oh my God. <laughs> right. Cause like, like I said, I'm a big dude. So like when you shake somebody's hand and they're, they're, they're like, when you can feel their, their finger touch the, this part of your behind your palm, like when you feel that finger touch there, you're like, holy crap. <laughs> Right. That's a big hand. I'd probably say after him it was Greg Cock was probably the biggest hand I've I've uh, shaken their hand like I took notice. And then Steve I was third for sure. And I also have shaken Billy Sheehan's hand, uh, Sheehan's hand. And it was also very large, but I don't remember like having a mental like a uh, comparative. Right. I just remember Paul Gilbert was like I I knew he was tall when I met him. And obviously when I met him, I'm like, oh, he is very tall. I just wasn't really prepared for how long and large his hand and fingers were. I mean, they were really long, right? Um, the reason I say that is because this is what I've learned is that um, there's no connection. So what's great about that is all those guitar players have signature guitars and you play their necks and there's nothing that seems to rhyme or reason to that. There's no like, Paul Gilbert has really big hands, so his neck is really, really wide and really, really thick or really, really this. It's really no different than most people's, right? Um, so... Uh, that's what I've learned with that. So into your, to your thing, he, um, hold on a second. Uh, the, you're asking the three, three quarter scale drawbacks. There isn't really any drawbacks. Oh, wait, back up. When it comes to short scale instruments, the drawback is playing full scale instruments again. Obviously I play a 32 inch scale bass. That's my main bass. I have two custom bases, a 32 inch scale, and I have my Kiesel Vader bass, which I absolutely love. It's 30 scale, 30 inch scale. It is 30 inch scale because the Kiesel did not make the 32 inch scale. And so I thought, let's give it a 30 a try. I absolutely love it. I feel very little difference from the 32 to 30. Um, I love them. I play them all the time. And when I pull up the 34 inch scale base, I have to adjust. I have to go back to like, oh, it's a little workout. Um, so that's the only downfall, man. If you want to play shorter scale instruments, play them. There's, you know, you can make great music with them. Uh, it's just, like I said, it's going to be, you know, adjustment when you go back to the So if you think you're going to bounce back and forth, I would probably stay away from them. But, but I like with bass, I don't bass. I, I play 32 inch scale or I play 30 inch scale. Okay. Modern vintage says who makes the current made in Japan, Jackson guitars. I play three. And they have a much better QC than all of the 5K plus Jacksons. 
and Charvel's is this common thoughts. Um, <clears throat> again, apologize if I'm coughing. I don't know who currently makes the my, uh, Made in Japan Jacksons. I haven't looked into it. I don't know if it's uh, Fujijin or who's making them. Um, there's a ton of shops in Japan, obviously, that they're giving outreaching to. My guess, and again, it's just a that's just a literally a guess is whoever's making is making probably the Made in Japan fenders as well. I would imagine FMIC would want to keep things easy and contract through the factory they already know and trust and, and they, they just do it that way. That would be my guess. Um, I can probably, I mean, I can find out. So I'll find out <laughs> so we know in the future because it would be interesting to know. Um, better than the made in the USA guitars? Sure. I mean, keep in mind, my, one of my good buddies is the fi- one of the final assembly guy at Made in Jackson <laughs> USA custom shop. So, um, but f- I know that he's very overworked and I know that the workers that he works with are very overworked. So, um, that's could be the, the thing, uh, you know what I mean? Could be what you're, you're experiencing. In my personal experience since definitely since COVID and then obviously it's continuing. I, you just see the amount of guitars everybody's making is so astronomically crazy that it's just like the employees just can't keep up. And this is the real common. This isn't just the guitar industry. I heard it's happening like in the potato chip industry. It's happening in the car industry. It's happening everywhere. Essentially just demand has slowed but it still has not slowed to the point where it's just not people aren't wearing work to, you know, to, to, to the extremes. So you're going to see more issues like that. Like I said, that's what happens. You, if you run at full speed, you know, you're going to make mistakes. And so you're seeing those mistakes, but I'll check into the main Jim and Jackson's. I'm curious about them. Um, Rummy, <laughs> nice name. Rummy <laughs> says, Phil, I got a deal on a used heritage 535. It has Seymour Duncan antiquities. Uh, uh, what makes them unique? Okay. The low E saddle is cut too deep. Nah, that sucks. Uh, should I get a new one and file it? By the way, uh, tried the sire and the neck, uh, and the neck. Oh boy. Okay. So let's just stick with the easy stuff on the low E saddle. It's cut too deep. Um, what I would do is this is how I would to correct the issue. First, I would fix that issue just because it's nice to know. So what I would do is I would actually use some baking sodas and some super glue and build up that slot. You just use that. I have a video on that too. You can go and build up that slot and then recut it and fix it. And then that solves the issue and you're done. That's the short fix, but you want to fix the issue before you start taking off parts and putting on new parts because that way you know everything's fine. You know you're good. And then also you can then pop that nut off and use it as the template to cut the new nut, which is amazing, right? Because once you once you make the other the old nut perfect, then just go ahead and copy it. It's an easy thing to do. Where if you start from scratch with a new nut, you're going to be, you know, <laughs> you're going to be basically shooting from the hip how how it's going to feel and sound, or how it's going to feel. So there you go. Uh, with the antiquity pickups, the Seymour Duncan antiquity pickups, they're just made in their custom shop, a little bit higher tolerances on them, uh, probably slightly better materials, but I don't know what spe- specifically would be better about them. I like antiquity pickups a lot. Heritage probably uses them again because it's a high dollar guitar and you want to use some more of a premium Seymour Duncan type of pickup. If that was the stock pickup in there, I, most of the heritage I saw back in the day were Seymour Duncan's. I just got a heritage. They sent me a guitar. Looks like I, from on YouTube, it looks like they sent a lot of YouTubers in one. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> so it's like, like I said, I always I tell you, if I got a guitar for free from a company, I'm sure it's like I was last on the list, but that's okay. Uh, it's like nice to be on a list if you can be on a list. Um, but uh, the heritage I have is amazing and it's a, it, and it has their own 
uh, new, their new pickups in it that they're making and it's fantastic. So, um, uh, that video is to come soon. I just need to, um, figure out how to talk about the guitar. Um, they, it's a custom guitar. Heritage made me a custom guitar. They made me and Tim Pierce. I, I like, I think we're twinsies, man. Identical guitars. Uh, apparently when I, when I asked for, when I made a request about my guitar, they mentioned, that's how I know, they mentioned that Tim Pierce asked for the same thing. I go, oh, really? And so, um, but then after they sent the guitar, they sent an email saying um, they don't know if they're going to make that as a production guitar. So we'll talk about it. Well, like I said, we'll talk about it. But the easy part is this. Fantastic guitar. Fantastic. Just amazing. Watch my phone blow up. <laughs> I don't know why it's blowing up, but it is. So, uh, but, but like I said, video on that very soon. I'm uh, super stoked. That's more of a, more of a, I'm just excited about it. So it'll be a good video. Um, uh, ye, I'm, I don't want to mess up your name. So it's, I'm going to say ye, I'm going to say ye. <laughs> says, hey, Phil, like ye, like, <laughs> says, hey, Phil, uh, is the Supro amp Amulet, Supro Amulet, a good first tube amp? Sure, of course. However, I would caution you <clears throat> if i don't cough i'm sorry uh, i would caution you um i was told something by the super guys there's something i know this amulet just came out i love it but there's something coming out and it might be giving you another option on the amulet so i would hold tight on the amulet so i highly recommend the amulet but i also highly recommend you wait and see what happens in a month or so okay i'd love to tell you exactly what it is but um they didn't nda me but it was it was told in confidence and I already feel like I'm breaking a little bit of confidence by telling you, but as a viewer, I kind of want to also tell you like, oh man, if you buy the new, if you buy the amulet, there might be something in a couple of weeks that it might make you go, oh, I should have waited to see what happened with that. So hold up on the amulet. It'd be great. Yes, absolutely. Be great first amp. It's a great amp, period. I like Supro stuff. So I, I always have, I don't know what it is. I like the sound of it. It's like Fender, but fuller, more mids, a lot more mids. Okay. Uh, Mike says, what is the difference in sound from a guitar cabinet on rubber feet versus casters. I have no idea. Worth worrying about? No. Look. Yes. Is there a difference? Sure. Um, if you leave a cabinet on casters and you drop it, like everybody's experiences, you, you take the casters off and you let it go rubber feet to the floor. Um, what you're going to notice is more bass. The floor will probably decide how much of that bass you're going to get though. So for instance, on a hollow stage, definitely much more bass. On the second floor of your apartment or house, definitely a lot more bass. Straight down on concrete, a little bit more bass. But a lot of that also keep in mind is probably just because as you lower the speakers, you know, right, it's less directional at you and you're just going to perceive less treble. That's not a big part of it, but it's a small part of it. Um, but yeah, if you take the wheels off, you're going to get more low end frequency for sure. That's, 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 you know, just how it goes. The more content, uh, more contact of that cabinet with the ground, is going to transfer more of that vibration into the ground, especially get it, given whatever the material the ground is made out of. Is it enough to worry about? I don't know. <laughs> to me, it would be more of a, I, I've only done it if you're like, uh, you're not getting enough low end frequency, right? Like you're just maxed out and you're like, just don't feel like it's, you know, it's mo it's just shaking enough the ground. Just, yeah, put it more towards the ground. Sure. So that's, that would be my suggestion. Thank you, John seven, uh, seven for the super chat. 
Trucker Cowboy Ed says, hello, Phil. Have you played the Fly Amp from Blackstar? Um, I believe I can fly. I believe. Okay, hold on a second. I, I know this amp because I'm pretty sure it's the amp I tell everybody to buy. Yes. Yeah, I just need to make sure. It's the same amp. You never know, right? So um, it's thinking. Yes, he's talking about this amp. As you guys know, I did a video. I never, I did a video of this amp years and years and years ago. And this is also the amp I bought when I bought the um, uh, Gibson Les Paul. What guitar would I buy for $500 at Sam Ash? Uh, love this amp. Uh, I have one exactly like it, but mine is uh, green with pink knobs. Um, do they still make that? Green, fly, black star. Um, I don't know where I got it. I thought I got it from Sweetwater, but I might've got it from, uh, 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 what'd you call it? Um, musician's friend because of whoever had it. This is it. This is the one I have. And I think they actually have another one too. It's pink, but I have this one. Why? I don't know. I just thought it was cool because it wasn't black. So I have this, this is exactly what I have. Um, it looks better in this picture than in real life, but it looks fine. It's like, you know, so that's the one I have. And if I take a small amp with me, that's the amp I take with me. Um, uh, pretty on the regular. Absolutely love the amp. Swear by it. I think it sounds fantastic. I have no problem getting good tones out of it. And um, I actually love it for a light gain when I play like a Strat through it. it sounds fantastic. Uh, Brian says, hey, would you want to do a demo on the Blue Ridge BR140 Dreadnought guitar? Um... Not necessarily, like, I don't, you know, those kind of questions, like, I get that question a lot. Like, hey, would you like to do a video on this guitar, do this guitar? Um, my biggest problem has has been and will always be, I try to do 52 podcasts a year, one a week, right? Obviously, I missed one last week, so maybe we'll do a makeup by the end of the year. Um, 52 podcasts a week and 52 deep dives a year is the goal. Um, at that number, which is one a week, right? Uh, and then everything else is bonus. So if I could do, like, a pedal video... Um, like I said, if I do a pedal video or I do, uh, you know, another small product video or an amp video or something like that, I add that in. I don't count, count that as a deep dive. Um, the way it sits right now is on deep dives will stay. Um, we're probably, I don't, I don't set the calendar, <laughs> which is good. I have help now. Um, but if I was going to guess if I was, I don't have a way to pull up the calendar right here on this screen, but if I was to pull up my calendar, I'm sure we're we're booking for September or October right now. So like if we're, you know, we're buying guitars or if a company's sending guitars out, that's what we're looking for. So I would love to do all the guitars. I would love to do a deep dive every day. <laughs> that would be like, that'd be great. The more you, you know, more content you make, the better the channel does. It's just ingenious. But like I said, it's also, uh, it's, a uh, you know, it's just, you only have so much time. You only have so much bandwidth, but, uh, yes, I would love to do, that guitar. I love to do a lot more guitars too, but, uh, thank you for mentioning it. What I always tell you guys is this, when you mention these guitars on the podcast, that's like the Rickenbacker that I just did. I was 100% from one of you guys' questions. Why doesn't, why doesn't it get any love? And then I go, I don't know. <laughs> I go probably because they don't send them to channels. So I bought one. I made the video. It's uh, part of the reason I think, uh, the community does well together. You know, there's no math to make that situation to great. Um, uh, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, 
it was a great video. I'm very proud of it. It killed as far as I'm concerned. Oh, let me see. I can look. That video did 216,600 views, right? I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, it's almost a quarter, almost a quarter million views as a video. Um, I netted, I'm looking at my stats right now. I netted 312 new you guys, subscribers from that. It's great. But to give you a reference, if you look at what I made on the video, which is fine. So, you know, we do fine here on the channel. I'm not telling you guys that. I'm just explaining the, the math and behind the scenes of the channels. That video at that rate didn't even pay for that guitar. So if I sell that guitar, which I will eventually probably do, um, once I sell that guitar, then I will actually get paid for that video. But right now I'm in for the video made. Uh, well, you can probably figure it out. The video made almost, not quite, half of what the guitar cost. <laughs> so at this point, I mean, yeah, I do have the guitar, which is really cool. But at this point, like I said, the video, it's like you can't, at, two, at almost a quarter million views, you can't make enough money to just buy expensive guitar and do a video of it. It doesn't even make any sense. But I have patrons. We sell merch. You get the idea. A company sponsor other videos. We make it happen. That's why I don't like to be all like, if they don't send it, I don't talk about it. No, I'm like, no, if you guys want to talk about it, you guys were right. I would have never in a million years, never thought of a Rickenbacker's art. It's not something that was on my radar. It's not something I thought was interesting. Nothing. Uh, and uh, you guys brought it up and quarter million of you watched it. You guys are smart. That's why I listen to you. Well, I don't know if you're smart. You're really into guitars. <laughs> Let me go back to the... <laughs> Let's go back to the, the main screen. I got to get back to the... the uh, Here it is, as I say. Okay, uh, let's look at. Okay. Let me refresh this. Okay. Uh, Behavioral Sync said, hey, amp question, orange thunder verb 200. Signal is coming through with dirt pedals on channel A, but volume and gain are unresponsive. Channel B is still great. Sadly enough, I'm not really like, I'm not, that's not where my, my forte is. So like diagnosing an amp problem like that on the fly, you, you got to understand like making a video is, is not hard, <laughs> right? So I can make a repair video, but like when you guys ask me repair questions on guitars, even on a live format like this, I can answer most of them and go through that stuff with you guys. Cause I've done it so many times that it's just in my head stuff. Like when it comes to amps, I've done no, no amp repair. So it's not something that's poking out to me as an obvious thing. Some of you guys might have that amp and be able to fill him in. Um, so yeah. Um, I would say the only piece of information I can give you that is probably helpful is is that on that amp, because it's a tube amp, and in my experience, when you have a tube amp and it has multiple channels and something's going wrong, it's a tube in one of the channels. So you might have a defective tube in one of the channels that, you know, so when you're saying, hey, I'm getting like, so if somebody was to say, give me a scenario that seems pretty straightforward. Somebody says, hey, I have a two channel amp, the clean channel is working fine. I go over our channel. It's either sounding, you know, it doesn't sound thin or it sounds problematic or it's not working at all then I, that might might lead me to go. The first thing I would do is check your tubes. Um, I'm not telling you how to fix your amp. What I'm telling you is something you might want to check before you have your amp fixed because 
you know, they're going to charge you for a bench fee no matter what. And if all they got to do is pull a preamp tube and swap it, this is an easy thing to fix. You could probably go online and get the schematic for that amp. Obviously be cautious. Don't touch hot tubes and don't, uh, you know, pull the amp apart and, you know, cause you want to stay away from capacitors and stuff. You really hurt yourself. However, uh, a lot of times it's as simple as when the tubes are not, when the tubes are not hot, you can just swap them, right? That's the easiest fix. Like if you're on, you know, if you're on a stage somewhere and you have a problem like that, pulling a preamp tube and swapping it for another. So like taking it from the one channel to the other channel, swap the tubes. And if the problem follows the tube, then you know, it's the tube, right? So if your clean channel is working, but your dirty channel is not, you swap those two preamp tubes. And all of a sudden your clean channel is not working. Your dirty channel is, you know, exactly what kind of problem you have. So you just get a new tube. So there you go. That's my suggestion for that. Uh, Oh, Gina Short says, hey, where do you get this, the Strandberg strings uh, swing adapter? So Strandberg sent me a wall hanger. It's out of nowhere. It just doesn't, it's just like, they just sent it to me. And it was 3D printed and it lets me ha ha hang a Strandberg. However, what you guys have been seeing uh, currently in the in the videos, let me do this. Let's see this here. Uh, in the live shows where this is a Strandberg hanging on a, a string swing. This is a seven string Strandberg. And the seven string Strandberg will actually fit in the standard string swing if you squeeze the 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 claw in a little closer. So that's why it's doing it. It's pretty safe. And I I I, I mean I'm, I'm a little cautious to tell you guys that I figured how to do it and I manipulated the string swing hanger to do that. But on the six string strandberg you definitely need some kind of adapter or something. I feel like it's a little too scary to do it on the regular string swing hanger. Um, I believe Strandberg's trying to build a production wall hanger for their guitars is what I got from his Instagram watching them. And then of course the fact that they sent me one randomly out of nowhere was like, huh? Okay. But I would definitely check out Strandberg guitars. Um, because, uh, Ola has definitely been talking about the fact that he wants wall hangers for his stuff. Okay. <laughs> uh, coach says, do I have a favorite guitar brand? Well, let me, let me answer that, uh, with the, uh, like a, a, let me just answer it this way. I, there's brands that I, I really like what they do. Okay. That's really what it is for me. So like, if you're asking me which guitar I like, I can like, Hey, I like my Fender. Hey, I like a Ballard Smith. Hey, I like a, an Ibanez, a Schecter. I like those, but there's different brands and there's things that I really like what they do. So for instance, I really like Kiesel guitars for the idea that they make a more obtainable USA semi-custom guitar and they don't export any of that money overseas to import brands. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with import brands. There's nothing wrong with buying a guitar made in Indonesia or wherever you want to buy a guitar. However, you know, when you buy in support, uh, if your point is to support a USA brand like Gibson or Fender, which realizes that you really can't support them solely because because when you buy a USA Fender, that money still finds a way itself to make an import brand. So what I like about companies like Kiesel, companies, uh, and, and specifically them is because, yeah, they make a USA only guitar. They don't do any import brand. And most of the majority of the parts are made in the USA or from high quality manufacturers like Japan and stuff, right? 
and they make these guitars more obtainable like I, I did in that new PRS video. I mean, I was in shock that I could, when I was trying to build out the telly, I thought it was going to be like, you know, two grand, $2,200. It was 15. It was half the price of the Paul Ray Smith one. So granted, uh, and the reason I say them, and I could say the same thing about Sir, or I could say the same thing about Tom Anderson and so many high-end great brands that I can mention. However, those brands are very expensive, right? Kiesel is expensive. But when I use the word, I didn't say affordable. I said obtainable. To me, if you're looking at, you know, a $4,000 USA made guitar, Kiesel will come in, you can build your guitar for half that. That's everything, the same, you know, that has the same quality. So there's something I like about them. However, you, I could also flip the, the coin and talk about company like Schecter and say, I love the quality of Schecter's. I own Schecter's. I love them so much. Made in Indonesia, Maine, Korea. Yeah, they have a small USA shop, but mostly it's all import stuff, but the quality is really good. So when I think of a guitar brand, I don't really think of them as like, I like the brand. I sometimes like the mission of the brand. You know, I like what they're up to. I like how what they're trying to do. Um, and and that's what it is. And you mentioned in that question, you know, besides my own, which means implies the Badlands. And keep in mind, like I said, I am a I am a, a, a vested party in the Badlands because, like I said, um, like a lot of companies who have approached me and asked for help, you know, usually with a company, they'll pay me. You know, they pay me like a consultant. Um, Badlands was a new small company with a, a bunch of great guys who didn't have the money to pay me as a consultant. So we didn't, you know, like, hey, I'll be a partner. That way I'll see a dividend maybe in the long run. Um, that being said, again, a mission I can get behind. You know, it's again, it's not an affordable guitar. No one's claiming that, uh, you know, $2,500 Badlands is an affordable guitar. It's a more obtainable guitar. It's something that somebody currently makes, which is, like a, a custom shop Jackson or custom shop uh, ESP or what have you, but it's a little faster and it's a little cheaper, right? And there's no shenanigans going on. In other words, it's not an import brand, right? It's literally the same thing. The Badlands are made, um, I don't know, two hours, maybe an hour and a half. I'm gonna say an hour and a half. They're, no, actually, no, I know. They're 40 minutes. 40 minutes from Jackson's custom shop. So there you go. Um, the person who set up all the Badlands guitars worked at uh, Sir Guitars for like six years. So the person who set up the Badlands that people own uh, set up Sirs for years. That costs double the price. Um, so it's not a better brand by any means. Just like I don't think Kiesel's a better brand. I, I would never say Kiesel's better than Sir. That doesn't even make any sense. What I'm saying is, is that I like their business model more. I appreciate it more, right? I mean, I get, like I said, these are all luxury items. So, you know, again, if you don't have the money for a Sir, then you don't have the money for a Sir. It's a luxury item, right? You don't have the money for a Ferrari. You don't have the money for a Ferrari. I don't really feel for you, <laughs> right? It's not, you know, I don't, I don't go, oh, poor, poor, you know, they don't, can't afford an expensive guitar. Uh, you know, like I said, that's not what usually kind of, you know, makes me sad for somebody. However, I really, really find it, uh, more interesting that a company is trying to give you something that matches what another company does at a better value, right? And that there's a, to me, there's a win in there. And again, it's not, again, not that they're better guitars because um, I think Schecter guitars are just fine. Like I said, I have my Schecter, I just did a video of it recently. It's a guitar, just, I don't love that guitar any less than any guitar on this wall. <laughs> not even a, a little bit. So, um, so again, it's, it's, uh, so that's a company I kind of like, I like their idea. 
um, the, the, the idea of direct consumer cut the price, uh, Vola guitars. I saw KDH did a video recently of Vola guitars. I, I happen to know the guy who runs Vola guitars and, um, Vola guitars. Um, they were at the NAMM show this year and they were one, believe it or not, uh, of the companies that I basically heard say that NAMM show was not very fruitful for them. And the dealer network is shrinking and they're not buying as many guitars. And I understand that's tough. And you know, and if you can't get into the Sweetwater guys, because that's really the, what it's coming down to, right? It's like the Toman Sweetwater gig. You got to get, if you want to be a, a, a brand to succeed now, you got to get into Toman. You got to get into Sweetwater. And then maybe, a, you know, a couple of the bigger high-end shops across the country. Obviously, you have Chicago Music Exchange, you have Chuck Levins, you have Wild Guitars, uh, 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 Wild West Guitars, you know, right? There's big vendors across the country. If you can get into those, that helps with that. But but uh, what Vola did is they said, look, um, they didn't want to leave the mom and pops. No one wants that. No one wants, you know, to not sell their guitars to people who like, you know, like mom and pops, people are passionate about guitar. The problem is how do you sell four Volas to a dealer and then wait 90 days to get paid? That's, you know, right. And that's, you know, sometimes that's 30, 60, 90 days net to get paid. And, you know, and you got to get your presence up because believe it or not, you got to get you know, the big cats to pay attention to you. So what they did was they went direct to consumer. So Vola is now direct to consumer as a company. That's how you buy Volas now. They don't have dealers anymore officially. So if you go to Vola's website, however, what they did, which is what, why I've got upset with like other companies like Vendor for not doing is what Vola did is they took the piece that they were giving to the villa, the, the, to the dealer and they gave it to you. So the guitars are 30% cheaper. I mean, you know, look, it's kind of like, I, I don't want them to leave the mom and pop shops, but if they do, I kind of don't want them to just keep all the money either. That's not, that's not a win. So the win is now, uh, you can't check one out personally. That sucks, but also you have a reduced rate so that you're taking a chance with less of your money to try a guitar. So I, I think that's again, business models I can get behind. I get behind that business model. Uh, not because it pulled away from mom and pop shops because they're just trying to survive. That's the logic. How do we keep doing what we do? How do we make guitars, <laughs> right? How do you get them to customers? Obviously Badlands, we did the same thing. We were like, Hey, we're going to go direct to consumer. And, and literally we don't have to cut in. You know, I, I, somebody said once you guys asked me once like, well, will Badlands ever be in Sweetwater? No one knows the future, but here's what I can tell you. There's no margin to give Sweetwater. So if it went to Sweetwater, we'd have to increase the, the cost. That's not really the goal, is it? right? We're not trying to increase costs. We're trying to, again, make them more obtainable. Um, the idea was like, there's some people out there and they always wanted a dream was to own one of those custom 80s guitars. And it's just not obtainable because if you buy one used, it's all chipped up. And if you buy one new, it's a two-year waiting list and seven grand or six grand or whatever it is. kind of. And so same thing. So on that tirade of guitar companies, that's how I look at guitar companies. So when you ask me if I, what guitar companies do I like, it's not the guitars I like, it's the business models that I appreciate. I like how it works. So I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan, although I don't condemn it. I don't have any problems with it, but I'm not a big fan of slapping my logos on stuff built by, you know, like I love Cortec. I think they make great guitars, but I mean, if you're just going to take a brand and stick it on a Cortec guitar, I mean, you know, kind of like when somebody asked me like, what Badlands make an import? And I said, Look, I, I don't have control of the company to the point where I can say what it will or will never do. However, what I will tell you to do is 
I don't really want to compete with everyone else that's doing that because everyone's doing that. <laughs> right. Uh, so, right. Like, you know, you'd have to fight everybody. One of my favorite, co I, oh, and I'll get off this tirade because it's my favorite, is my favorite absolute comment was on the Reddit stream when the Reddit, Reddit guys were like bagging us really hard at Badlands, which is fine. Um, who, you know, like I said, I dish it out every day. I can take it every day too. So, um, one of the things they were saying was for $2,500, I'd buy a Kramer. And I really, really have never, never felt this way before, but I was like, man, I wish I was not involved with Badlands. I wish I didn't have anything to do with this company because I never really comment to comments on, on publicly, but I just wanted to comment so badly. Like you have no idea. Like I was sitting there middle night going, I just want to respond to this guy's comments so bad. I just want to put, yeah, I would too, but they don't make any guitars. Kramer doesn't make any USA guitars. Like he was like, I'd rather buy a Kramer. Make me too. <laughs> but they don't make them, which is why we started making guitars in the USA with custom finishes because Kramer doesn't make them, right? Um, and so when somebody asked me again, somebody asked me this before on a show, would you do an import line? Well, by definition, that thing I just told you flips. If we made an import Badlands, we would be competing exactly with Kramer Imports. And I already said this. If you want a good $1,000 made in guitar, Jackson, LTD, Kramer, Schechter, like those are great guitars. I reviewed them. Fantastic guitars. I wouldn't know how to tell you get a Badlands over that. I don't know what would be the appeal. I'd be like, because it's because I'm involved with it. So therefore buy that one over the other ones. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So like I said, uh, that's kind of how I look at things. <laughs> Brian says Kramer has the best pointy headstock ever. It is really cool. I mean, it's like I said, I'm a Kramer fan for sure. <laughs> Lee, Lee TH says you need a troll account. You know, can't do it. <laughs> can't just can't do it. But I appreciate that. Um, okay. We're about to wrap up. I think I have a couple of super chats. I can't believe my voice made it to the show. We, my wife and I were convinced that was, I was going to get an hour in and just, it was, it's been dying that fast. So I'm really happy it's been working. Um, Mark, thank you so much for a super chat. Um, the next question was, huh, Phil, what does your gut say regarding Les Paul's recent Gibson custom shop versus Goodwood era 9803 years price lately seems rather similar on reverb. Also first time catching the show. Well, I'm glad you got the show, uh, live. I appreciate that. Uh, when you're asking me, what do I think about custom Gibson custom shop wood uh, versus I don't really care. Like that's not the thing I focus on. I'm not focused. Like I said, I, um, I have this, I have this, um, hang up where I like all the guitars to be light. And I've talked about this many times, uh, over the years and it's not because they sound better. It's not because they, they're, be they play better. Um, and it's not even because I can't, you know, they're heavy and I can't lift them. <laughs> right. Um, it, it's, here's what it is. It happened actually when I was in New Jersey. Um, so I went with a friend into a music store in New Jersey. I went to a couple. Oh, and that will end on this good topic because it was really enlightening to go to a bunch of music stores on the East Coast. Um, 
comparatively to the West Coast and see the what was consistent, what was different. But what happened that was really interesting in those music stores was um, he found, so you'll know who I'm talking It's the Tone King. <laughs> the Tone King and I went into a music store and uh, I even made, he made a joke that I was going to buy a guitar before him. And I said, oh yeah, let's bet. And uh, we didn't bet, but uh, good for him. We didn't because he bought a guitar and I didn't. And this is why this illustrates the story perfectly. So he found himself an 88, I believe, or 86. I can't remember the year. Uh, Kramer. Some of you guys probably watched it on a show. He showed it recently. He bought a USA Kramer. It's his first USA Kramer. So he found a USA Kramer. It was gorgeous with this beautiful flip-flop uh, pink finish. Original case. Really cool guitar. It was not a great deal. So he obviously you know, hey, said, hey, here's my offer. Um, he's a... He is a master negotiator. I'm not kidding. That's like his day job is what he does. He negotiates multi-million dollar contracts for companies. So he's, you know, he's not a hack. Um, and uh, I enjoyed watching the negotiation. It was fantastic. And of course, they gave him what he wanted, which is uh, the deal he wanted. And why this story is interesting is I found a Martin Miller uh, Ibanez AZ that was gorgeous. And I picked it up and played it and I fell in love with it. And the same thing, it was priced, I thought, $200 too high, just like his. But again, I was like, hey, I can negotiate too. Um, but it was eight and a half pounds, eight, point, well, eight pounds, five ounces. And I was like, uh, nope. And so when I didn't buy it, when we're leaving, he's like, you didn't buy the guitar? And I go, I don't buy guitars over eight pounds. And he's like, why? He's like, is you know, he didn't know my thing. So he was like, why? And I go, because otherwise I'd buy that guitar. I'd buy every guitar I see I like. Every time I go in a store, I find a guitar. I go, look, when I add the weight thing onto the guitar, to me, it's now it's a way of, of saying, okay, so now I got to find a guitar I really like, and it's got to be a reasonable price, and it's got to be a certain weight. So now I need three or four criteria before I pull that trigger, and it definitely over the years has done me really well um, to to <laughs> slow my uh, so slow myself down. And And so you know what's great about this is, because I like that guitar, I might buy a Martin Miller online. I might wait it out and get one. Um, but I'll get, you know, again, it'll be the price. It'll be the right weight. It'll be everything I want. It'll line up. It'll get it. And like I said, it'll, it'll just be perfect. Um, so same thing with Gibson. Your your question about the Gibson custom drop is the wood. I don't focus on the types of wood or the errors of the guitars. All I care about is how much it weighs, how much I like it, the way it looks, and how good does it sound. And kind of like those things factor in and that's it. So with Gibson, I can tell you right now, I've had Gibsons, and I've said this before, I had Gibsons that I thought sounded amazing and they were boat anchors or like 10 pounders and I just couldn't do it. I was like 10 pounds. And so, um, and they probably had better wood than the ones I have now. So. Yeah, Vinny says, I actually like guitars less than eight. Lighter is better. Like I said, it's, it's, it happened, it happened because at the store, we would weigh all the guitars. It was just something we started doing. I had a couple of customers that were neurotic about the weight of guitars. I think I've told the story that my Ampeg rep used to only buy green guitars. And I go, well, you must really like green guitars. And he said, no, it's just green guitars are harder to find. So if I find a guitar I like, I got to like it. And it's going to be a good price. And it's got to be green. I go, oh, that's a really smart way to kind of calm yourself down, right? And... Uh, and what I noticed selling guitars for many years is most guitars are not light. They're most guitars are heavy. That is the majority of guitars are heavier guitars. So it's rarer to find lighter guitars, no matter what the brand. So it just added a criteria to 
making the guitars light. And then what happens probably to so many people is once you start playing guitars, once you own a bunch of guitars that are really light, when you own a heavy one, it kind of sticks out as like, you know, you're like, ah, oh, this is the other ones are so light. <laughs> so it then becomes a psychological thing. So yeah, Anthony says some of the lighter guitars have neck dive. That becomes a huge problem for sure. For sure. So the, um, Brian says the GX guitar isn't light. None of the GX guitars should be over eight and a half pounds. So let me know if you have one over eight and a half pounds. The, we didn't specify the guitars to be ultra light. We just specified cause the, um, I have a prototype, uh, Badlands guitar currently at the house as the heaviest guitar that I've seen us do. Um, but it's a prototype is not going to be a production model. Um, it's something that we're, you know, we have prototypes of stuff we're thinking about. Um, but, um, all the ones I've seen have been eight pounds or lighter. I haven't seen one yet that was over eight pounds. So let me know. I'm curious to see if yours is heavier than eight pounds when you weigh it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then our last... We have a last super chat that says best resonator guitars. Um, I don't even know. <laughs> Harley Benton. I don't know. I don't play resonator guitars. It's one of those guitars. Um, you know, there's just guitars that are just not in your wheelhouse. Uh, no, I, I've not only never owned one, I've probably sold a couple over the years, you know, as at the store worked on maybe two or three my entire life. Um, there's not a huge resonator, you know, style guitar playing community in Arizona where I, where the shop was. So there was, I didn't see a whole lot of that type of guitar, but also it's not a guitar that a lot of people need a specialist to set up or work on, right? You know, usually you can, you know, they don't need you to go, Hey, can you get this resonator action really low? It's usually just, uh, basic stuff. So not really familiar with them. If that, I mean, it's just not a thing. Um, I tried. I, it's, it's like banjo. I've tried. Like I bought a banjo once I bought a six string ganjo, you know, our banjo tar, whatever you want to call it. And then I bought the, you know, I had a five string banjo and you know, kind of the thing like I'm going to teach myself banjo. And then you play it for a few minutes and you go, maybe not. <laughs> so it's my three, I think my three things are resonators, banjos, and baritones love when people play them, love the guitars themselves, worked on a few here and there, but just never really bonded with it to enough to put the time into it. And that's really what it's gotta be, man. It's this time, you you know, when you're, you gotta, you know, you gotta wanna put the time in it. So, so there you go. Um, okay, so I think we handled everybody. We got all the questions. Martin says, hey, is Badlands Guitars gonna make different shapes? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, that would be the the plan. Like I said, um, we shipped out all 50. So we're waiting now, like then, like what we, what we talked about before. We, 22 people have got their first batch, 28's getting the second batch. Uh, I haven't looked, I haven't had a chance to look at the, the tracking notices, but I'm sure half or if not more than half of the 28 were delivered. So they have those in their hands. Um, and then, uh, and the, so far, far we've had two guitars we've had to deal with um with uh, uh the um um with dealing with you know like a, a a customer issue 
and and I say that actually I don't know if that's actually true. We had two issues. I think one had to be corrected, whatever the problem was, and the second one I don't think actually had to be corrected. I think it was just more of a it, it was a discussion and stuff. So again, we're we're take and everybody everybody says whatever everybody says about anything. We're taking the notes and stuff. You gotta understand, we're not just gonna regurgitate what we did the first time out. That's why everybody's like, oh, when are you gonna announce the second one? We're gonna do this stuff. The whole point of this is there's no money in this. You can't make 50 guitars and make a fortune. There's no way to make a fortune with this money. So it's not about the money so much, right? I mean, obviously we don't want to lose money and obviously we'd like to make a little more profit. It'd be nice. Um, and I have no problems, as you know, being honest and open about everything. There is very, very not likely that Badlands will pay me any more than I've ever made from any other company that working with. I can make more doing a video for a company than I can do you know, being involved with the Badlands as a, as a, as that part. So it's not so much. That's the focus. The focus is I like the idea again, like when I told you, I like to mission a Kiesel to make some custom guitars more affordable, obtainable. I like how Volas like say the same thing, trying to make guitars more obtainable since they can't work with the dealers and be effective. This same concept. I like the idea of like giving somebody something that's harder to get, but more, make it more obtainable. Um, but that being said, like we've already had to make a ton of, uh, adjustments. Somebody told us that, they didn't like the strap installed on the guitar. We took that feedback. Actually, I think we got three people who said they didn't like the, the Marshall strap installed on the guitar. So the 28 people who got their last, the last shipment, we'll spend the last, last couple of minutes on this. We did not have this uh, DeMarcio straps installed. They're just in the packaging in the case, right? So um, I think uh, Brian's video, when he did it, he talked about the packaging not being adequate. And the, so of course, you know, we're like, okay, we got to make an adjustment on the packaging. Um, we got another, what's another thing? Like everything that anyone said to us at all about any of the guitars, or by the way, some of you guys aren't even telling us, we just see you guys communicating on forums and stuff. We're actually just screenshotting all that stuff and we collect it all up and we have a WhatsApp forum for all of us and we're just collecting all the data and going, okay, so the next batch, we won't do this. Okay, the next batch, we will definitely do this. We will next batch, we will definitely make this adjustment. Okay, they're not really caring about this. We'll make that adjustment. Um, again, because, you know, it's super easy. It's like a focus group, right? It's 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 free. You're, the feedback from the customers is free. Why wouldn't you take it? It's absolutely. The people who gave you their money told you what they liked and didn't like. That's a very vested person, <laughs> right? Um, so, so far, so good. Like I said, it, um, so, oh, see, high desert, who dad said, agree with that. Don't like the strap. Yeah. So, you know, it was actually to the point where we might not do the next one with a strap, but we'll give something else with it. Right. Uh, again, we'll do that. Um, the only thing I can tell you <laughs> that's, that might be interesting. And I think it's interesting is we have the guitars. We already have the next models. We're just, the launch has to do with, again, the feedback. Like Brian says, my pickup switch was cutting out on the neck pickup, but it resolved itself. Perplexing. It could, it could be, so, you know, that happens a lot, Brian. And you know what would cause that is um, one of the things about having, we have a small shop building these guitars. And again, I've talked about this before. The disclosure of the, the shop that builds the Badland guitars isn't us, it's them. They have the NDA on us. We're not supposed to tell you because of their NDA with us, not with ours. I, I obviously don't care. I'd, I'd like you to know, you're like, here's who built it. <laughs> I don't care. Right. Um, and I, and I think that eventually will 
come to fruition because you gotta understand main main reason uh the shops you know the shops it's actually you know the shops don't want you to know that they're building guitars is you know some knucklehead's like hey we're gonna make 80s guitars and they're like yeah great you're gonna ruin our shop's reputation with your crazy ideas i mean oh you're gonna put a poster of a guitar dude in the case and you're gonna have this crazy stuff and this is what you know i think we've kind of proven that the business model works uh you know so so anyways uh the uh thing about small shops is they don't have like the larger shops. They're not going to have all the dust collectors and all that stuff. So my guess is if your switch was uh, intermittently not working and working, you have dust in that switch. You have uh, uh, pots. They we blow them out. They have an air gun. We blow them all out all this stuff. But the problem is, is it's hard to keep uh, a small shop ultra clean, right? It's not set up. That shop's not set up. In fact, the, one of the coolest things about the shop is um, they're actually set up like shops were back in the eighties, right? I mean, they built those guitars almost exactly how they did in the eighties. So there's some cool things and some, uh, not as cool things because obviously in a more modern shop, you're going to see less certain type of issues, but also you lose some of the cool magic feel and some of the stuff of doing it the way that they were doing it. So that just kind of worked for us. Right. But in that case, um, what I would suggest to you is if you have, uh, don't take can air. Okay. Uh, I'm not a proponent for canned air. Keep canned air away from your guitars as far as I'm concerned. First of all, it, certain finishes can react badly to that chemical. And and so I stay away from that. Um, but you hopefully you have an air gun, like an actual compressor with an air, and just spray it out, spray out air. So uh, John says, Grover Jackson. You know, Grover is not who builds those guitars. And here's what's great about Grover. If he was, you would know it because he would disclose it or we would disclose it. He has no, he has no restrictions. We, we talked to Grover about building the guitars. He's one of the first shops we talked to. We talked to many shops and then we picked the one we liked, you know, for a ton of reasons. You got to understand the biggest thing, uh, the reason we picked the shop we did, the biggest thing was we put a list of like really crazy, unreasonable requests. I mean, it was crazy, right? And so, you know, shops, some shops said, yeah, we could do these three things, but not that thing. We'll do this, but we won't do that. Or we can do 90% of that, or we can do 4% of that, right? Or whatever the deal was. And so this shop was like, yeah, we'll do all that stuff. And they were great for being crazy, but uh, they've also learned like us, like some of the things are, are unrealistic. So, yeah. And then like Brian says, if they were built by Grover, the price would be $3,500. Probably, here's what's funny, probably... Because the main reason the guitars are $2,500 is we cut our margins to almost nothing. Because one of the advantages we all have is none of us are making a living off this. And none of us need to make any money off this. It's a lot easier to make a guitar company when everybody's group, the group that comes together goal is be really nice to get my money back. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I'll put in X dollars to help this do this. And you can understand our biggest thing by far, by far, the number one cost, number one cost. We're gonna end on this note. Um, because again, companies won't tell you this. Um, they're not gonna, they're not gonna tell you this. Number one cost for building a guitar, customer acquisition. It's the number one cost. You don't even wanna, you will have, you would die if you knew what companies had to pay in advertising. Just their YouTube channels, it's expensive. Right? I mean. It's just, it's just how it works. And YouTube channels are more problematic, like I said, than guitar world um, and guitar magazines, because guitar magazines at least will post a price and say, here's our price. Guitar channels are 
not only got you got to pay a price, but there's all kinds of you know they're at the whim of being individuals. So they might go might not want to do your product at all, or they might you know might have their own requirements of what gets done. So customer customer acquisition costs, advertising is one of the biggest costs that guitar companies have. And Badlands had to put zero dollars in that because obviously I have this forum here. Tone Gang had a forum, and we were able to do that. And we were also whether you guys realize or not. We're all four of us, uh, the, the main four are very tenured and we knew exactly how to put out the press releases. So perfect example is, you know, think of how many YouTube channels you saw a Badlands, uh, talk about Badlands. That was the marketing of knowing exactly how to get, we knew how to get channels to talk about us. We knew how to get to Guitar World to talk about us. We knew how to get people to talk about us because literally we do that for other companies. I know, you know, same consulting. So, so literally, Badlands, we spent zero dollars on advertising, so none of that has to be passed over to you guys. Um, the accessories, for example, DiMaggio straps, road, uh, runway audio cables, um, V picks, um, some of those cool accessories with the case, the TKL case itself, the upgraded case that was custom made and 3D modeled for the guitar. Okay, um, favors we pull favors in the industry. Some of them gave us the stuff at a um, reasonable discount. Some of us cross-promotioned it. Some There's all kinds of ways. But let's just say when people go, I'd rather have the money than that product. I'm like, you wouldn't because we some of it we didn't even pay for. So um, VPix uh, puts a VPix in every single Badlands guitar. He uh, doesn't charge us a single thing. But we also don't sell those VPix. He does. So if you go to VPix.com right now and you guys want to buy a Badlands pick, you will buy it. Then he gets 100% of the money for that. But in exchange, he gives us free picks to put in cases. So it's advertising for him. And it's a nice little thing to give to our customer. So again, this is the kind of the philosophy that got the Badlands thing going. Like, how do you get these guitars to this price point? And that's how we did it. And um, and we also didn't know, which is what we're learning now, like, you know, what are the true costs of the company? What's that? You know, so the price points were adjusted accordingly. So again, that's how you do it. So my favorite thing to gloat about <laughs> when I'm talking to friends, when I'm having adult beverages, talking to friends, weekend, is when we launched, we launched Badlands. My favorite thing now in hindsight to look back now is I watched a chunk of the internet tell me that the price was ridiculous, which is fine. Again, I, I say the same thing. So I, I'm not offended by that. Okay. First of all, the company didn't exist. It had no value. So it's $200 is a lot of money spent on a thing that doesn't exist. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, you know, so again, I'm not offended by that, but however, what my point is, is I love the internet was like, this is overpriced. And then literally I can't tell you who, unfortunately, three companies called me three decent sized guitar companies called me immediately. How did you do it? Even had lunch with one. One was in town, took me to lunch. How did you guys pull this off? The price is like ridiculously cheap. So we had to tell them the truth. We're not making any money. <laughs> we, we cut our margins small and we cut the overhead to almost nothing. And that's how we sat. So, so there you go. So that's what we're going to do. Um, uh, so the good news is uh, the next run, we'll, like I said, we're still collecting data. We still have to collect data from all the other 20 customers. Every single person, if you bought one of those guitars, please don't, like I said, every email gets answered. Um, there's somebody, like I said, we handle everything. We, we want to know your feedback. We want to know what's going on. 
right? It's just going to help us make it the next run even better and the next run even better. You know, we, we can't imagine each run not being better, you know, you know, and all the service and all the quality and stuff like that. Um, so again, it's just, it's, a, it's an idea. We like the idea. Um, uh, you know, there you go. That's what it is. And hopefully the people that got them enjoyed them. And if not, you know, like I said, that's why we had a 10 day unconditional return policy on those guitars. So you guys will be happy or we'll figure something out. Um, and, uh, and the next round will be exciting when it comes out. I don't know. Like I said, once we know it's right again, we like the guitar is the easy part. We have, I have, I wish I could show them to you. I don't have any, do I have them? Oh, I do. I was going to say, I don't know if I have them in the room. I, I can't show you the guitars. The guitar is the easy part that we have. We just need to know how to execute the next run correctly and what we learned from this run and do it better. You know, so like I said, the one thing we couldn't do was the timeline. I think the goal was to do 90 to 120 days. I don't know. Some of you guys know if you do the math, <coughs> it's essentially February 1st, right? So I think we launched into January. February 1st was the official way. Um, the so what's that so march right is that how you do it march april may june so into june so it technically i could say four months if i pull some bullshitty kind of like way of looking at it but i think it was five months i think we missed the mark for most of the guitars by a month we were a month behind on half over half the 55 percent of the guitars were a month later than we promised so we learned this is what we learned uh it's that timeline is really too aggressive for what we were doing, but you gotta understand most of the industry is quoting two years. So we were like, Oh, we thought that was crazy too. So, uh, yep. Yep. Says, did you actually get any returns? No, but I don't want to jinx it. Right? <laughs> no, not yet. Um, like I said, we had to, uh, uh, fix an issue with, uh, someone's bridge. So uh, to a couple of the bridges, what happened was, um, they had trouble getting those Godo bridges. So they sourced a few of the bridges from a different supplier, right? Because it's still hard to get parts. I mean, let's be honest, that's like a big thing. It's still hard to get parts. So they got a couple of bridges from a different supplier. They're still the go to same brand, same everything bridge, but for some reason, the blocks were different. So we could have emailed a couple of customers and said, hey, your block's gonna be different on your bridge. But instead what we did is we bought the right blocks, had them shipped, took apart the bridges, installed the right block on those bridges. I think it was four, guitar. I don't know the exact number. Um, so I don't want to make one up. I feel like I'm making anything I say I'm made up. I don't know the number. Um, and anyways, in that breaking down and putting the bridge together, uh, apparently there was something not addressed correctly. Like the plate wasn't put in the right spot or something. So we had, uh, two customers have an issue with it. So luckily that happened before the 28 ship. So everybody got the 28. You shouldn't see that problem. Everything was addressed and, and fixed on that. So they knew to go look specifically for that problem. Cause again, we got a customer saying, Hey, I got this thing and it's doing this weird thing. Is that right? And we diagnosed it with like Zoom calls back and forth. What's going on? What's going on? And we, we figured it out. And that's when we figured out like, ah, oh, it was on those bridges. We took them apart and added new blocks. So we were able to go, okay, well, luckily it was only this many bridges. And also now we know it's a problem. So when the second person complained and said, hey, I, I got this guitar, but it's doing this weird thing. We go, look, we know exactly what it is. Unfortunately, we didn't know who got the bridges though. Otherwise we would just write out email to you and say, hey, you got a bridge with an, you know, we just, no one knew really knew. So again, problem was solved. I think, I think the one was sent back. That one's getting fixed. It goes back, you know, that's on our dime. So everything's us because obviously it's our fault. And then the other one, I think we were able to 
to tell them how to correct it. And they did it. I think again, uh, I'm not really sure. Um, so, um, I, I see all the transactional stuff. Does that make sense? I'm like, um, and stuff is sent to me, as you can imagine, like tech support, like the guys will say, Hey, look, I'm talking to this guy and he's saying this, what do you see? And I'll say this, but most of the time, you know, uh, Brian and, and, and Luca and all of them are on it. They're, they're awesome. So, so yeah, so, so far, no issues like that. Okay. So, um, okay. Just looking at Oh, okay. And this is the last, this is the last question. I'll just do it. Michael says, Hey, what's the difference between a Floyd recessed and a Floyd top mounted? Well, originally the Floyds were top mounted. I mean, all bridges were top mounted. That's how they were, you know, they were doing it. So originally when they made Floyd's, uh, Floyd roses, they were putting them on the top of the, the body because that's where they were. So Eddie Van Halen has a top mounted bridge. So essentially you can dive bomb. You just can't pull up. You can't go sharp. Right. Um, uh, I have a video called like five things you don't know, no, you don't know about the Steve I gem, or maybe it's seven things. Um, and in there, I kind of explained this, but, uh, Steve, I was obviously one of the first to have a recess bridge. Okay. And essentially what happened was he was using a recess bridge. So when they made the gym, they essentially made it recess, right? There's a ton of stories about how he dug out the claw with a screwdriver on a table. And there's a great article on DiMaggio about that. But essentially the reason why you want recess is because it, it kind of floats. So you can do a more flutter stuff. You can pull back on it and all that stuff. When the Badlands guitars were created, the, the, they were created specifically because it was like, there's these guitars in the market, like the old Beast Rich Gunslingers, the old Kramers, the old Jacksons, um, like the old school, like eighties, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85, you know, kind of those guitars, everything pre 86, right? Those guitars now are becoming un unobtainable. Okay. And they're just to the point where you can't find them. And when you can, they're all jacked up. They've been, you know, neck swapped, part swapped, nicks, chips, and then they still want a ton of money. So when the Badlands were done, they were done to the idea of let's replicate guitars. All it is, is we took a business model that existed, which was, hey, replicating old vintage guitars. And we said, well, 80s guitars are now vintage guitars. So let's say you want a fender relic strat but you want it to be better than a fender right you might get a sir right kind of thing right um same kind of concept right let's say you want an old 80s style kramer or bc rich gunslinger or something and you you can't you know a custom paint job with all the old specs not only can you not find them but when you can the price is so crazy so then we're like okay let's make a guitar that basically embraces that so that's why they're top mounted because that's how they were at the time the answer the, the the question is would we ever do versions not like that of course because again uh, we'll ho hopefully over some time run out of those era 80 guitars to do and then maybe go forward to the next next gen right um the next gen of super strats which would be the late 80s early 90s side of strat strats so maybe we'll go that one day who knows yeah brian says you can't find them without the headstock all chipped up and the end are, are there a zillion dollars? And that's the thing, right? Even the chipped ones are expensive, but right to get a guitar that they expect like those days, 
that isn't chipped up. It's just so crazy. Um, it's going to be so crazy. So, <laughs> yes, Melly Cash, yes. Badlands, RG555, and Highlighter Yellow. Yeah, that, that's my era of guitars. I, that's the stuff I dig. Um, so on that note, I'm going to let you guys go. It was, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. As always, I enjoyed having you guys hang out with me. Um, you guys have an amazing weekend. I have the uh, NF53 video coming out. That'll be next. I have a really cool video and a giveaway coming from Sweetwater. That'll be out in about a week. Uh, so I was able to do a cool video when I was there, and then we'll be doing a giveaway guitar, which is an inexpensive guitar that I'm going to trick out a little bit. So it's going to be really cool and uh, something that you can't buy. You know, I'm going to trick it out with in a way I've never done before, which is instead of adding some aftermarket parts, that we're going to do some stuff that you can't buy anywhere else. So it'd be like a cool, unique guitar. So, all right. And other videos soon. All right, guys, as always, I want to thank you so much for your time. And uh, until next week, know your gear.